Bring it in. Read option back. Week three in the NFL wrapped up or is almost wrapped up uh, at the time of recording this Monday Night Football tonight. Jets and Cowboys or sorry, Giants and Cowboys uh, shows you how little I give a fuck about this game because this game is <laughs> going to be absolutely dog shit. Uh, very excited for this pod. A whole lot to get to. Two undefeated teams remain. One winless team remains. Again, Cannot remember the last time we had this kind of stuff happen in the NFL. Uh, no Scotty today. He's taking a mental health day, doing his thing. So shout out to our boy, Scotty. Uh, we love that. We yeah. love to see that take care of himself. So it's me and Vito. We have a Jeff and Vito pod. Happens once every couple of months that we have a Jeff and Vito pod. I think the last one we had was a and one of the preview episodes we did back in like August, maybe end of July. So uh, yeah, what's going on, buddy? Great to, great to see you. No, it's good, man. Good to good to do one of these. We uh, I, I was out last Thursday, had some travel issues, but um, all worked out. And and uh, dude, um, missed the picks last week, but um, they get to preview this week, and I'm kind of glad because this was a crazy week, and I don't yeah. think I would have previewed it well. So all, uh, already it's starting again, where it's like, dude. oh yeah, look, oh well, and actually this year it actually hurts. It's it's more against you because you got to make up some wins. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you're avoiding the, the crazy, the crazy weeks. Uh, I would say that it was, first of all, weekend was great. Great weekend of football. We're going to talk yeah. some college ball at the end because a certain uh, Sunbelt team made their stamp. Uh, there is, I saw this crazy stats, a cra- one of the craziest stats I've ever seen. Uh, there was one team ever to never lose an FBS football game. Vito, do you know what that team is? No. The James Madison University Dukes have never lost an FBS football game. Uh, even even got some votes in the top 25. 11 that was in the an coaches impressive poll. win, too. That was an Down impressive win. 28 to 3. Man, I love and honestly, and I know you guys know this. If, and if you don't, listeners out there, when you're putting your lines together and you're gambling on Saturdays, filter to Sunbelt. And look around because the Sun Belt is one of the most electric. Like if you want some upsets, you want, you know, unranked teams beating ranked teams consistently over the last three to four years, the Sun Belt has been that league that's done that. And even the crazy comebacks like we saw with, with JMU. Oh my God. It's, it's a good, good group of schools there. According to the voters who uh, are, are not very smart because Kansas is not in the top 25, but according to the voters in the AP poll and the coaches poll, JMU had got more votes than LSU, <laughs> Notre Dame, and Mississippi State. So, JMU. So this sh- this jump I mean, should have happened a while ago. I think you're right. I think this is uh, maybe, dude, to crack, crack even getting votes in the top 25 in your first Five years would have been incredible. Can't believe it happened within what's crazy. Three and games? Look, it's not gonna, it's not gonna last, right? J- I mean, JMU, I will say JMU only had one bad quarter. All 28 points by uh by App State were scored there. But remember, App State beat Texas AM. Mm-hmm. Uh, they almost beat North Carolina. JMU also beat Middle Tennessee week one, and Middle yes. Tennessee just beat Miami. So by the transit of property, JMU is a better football program than both Texas AM. And Miami. So Jimbo Fisher, you can hold these nuts. Uh, I will keep them aside for you. I'll put them in a little glass display case for you uh, because the Dukes uh, are for real, man. It was, I mean, look, objectively, again, it's not going to last forever. 
But Saturday was so much freaking fun. Watching that game on ESPN, it was ESPN Plus, but like an ESPN broadcast and coming all the way back from 28 to 3. And Barstool made shirts because they made millions off of the 28 to 3 Pats in Atlanta Super Bowl shirts. They made shirts that's a 28 to 3 on the front in purple and gold and on the back (laughs) have 32 to 28, the final score. I, I may have bought one. I don't buy many things. Like I don't ever splurge money like that, but that is one thing that I was like, you know what? I may have had a couple of beers at that point too. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. We're doing it. I'm getting this shirt. So no, Saturday yeah. was Saturday was that, awesome. It the was one a- thing too about that, uh, any of you soccer fans out there, this is like the closest thing Jeff we have to like teams getting promoted from one league to another. Oh yeah. Right? It, it is. And like the fact that like this happens in premier league, where all of a sudden a promoted team goes on a stretch of like a five, one and one record. And you're like, Whoa, like these, these guys can play. That's what's happening with JMU right now. So like the excitement you're seeing uh, it's, it's rarely seen in the American side of sports, but even when it happens in Europe, this is rare. So it's got, it's cool. It's cool. J- to see. JMU equals signs Leicester city. Let's go. That's what's happening right now. Uh, we're going to be the Cincinnati this year. No, it was just, it's fun. We're not going to b- talk about JMU every single week on the pod because I'm I'm not an idiot. I know where JMU actually stands. But just to have this and for the FCS championships and the game days and the stuff that, you know, as someone who covered that team and obviously went there but was like inside the organization, the program as, as tightly as I was, to have and see where it's at now, it's just a really, it's just a really, really cool thing. And um the fact that they've shown this much out is amazing. Uh, both of my my college and pro teams are undefeated. Life in the Gimple household when it comes to football is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, as someone who grew up as an Eagles fan in the city of Philadelphia, that's not something I've always been able to say. Actually, in my lifetime, it, it, it's closer than not. But um, no, things are great. Uh, and, and college football was a relatively boring weekend. JMU, the JMU game, honestly, was probably the most exciting game of the day. Uh, and then the NFL, this was kind of our first, I don't want to say down week because obviously the Buffalo Miami game was incredible. Um, yeah, even but- the, the ending of the, of the Chicago and Houston game was interesting. The Colts and chiefs game was interesting. Uh, Minnesota wins at the end. The four o'clock window was terrible. The Sunday night game was terrible. So I think it kind of left yeah. a little bit of a, of a sour, sour taste in some, in some of our mouths, but um you know, this is the thing. It's like the first two weeks were both so crazy. Um, and and even last year, remember last year was like the first seven weeks of the year we had an overtime game. Uh, oh, yeah, and, I do. And this year, yeah, I know you do. If anyone knows that, it's you. Uh, and then this year stops after we had overtimes in week one and week two, didn't have any in week three. But still, I thought it was a really interesting, uh, you know, overall set of games. And more importantly, week three is the first time that you can't use the excuse of it's still early in the season. Like it, it still is, but like even when Carolina started three and O last year, we still were able to look at and be like, all right, well they beat Denver and Jacksonville and the jets. Like those are the three teams that Carolina beat. Mm. So we knew by then those are three teams that weren't good football teams. So we knew not to put too much stock into that. This is the point now. And it gets even more so after this upcoming weekend, after week four, we really start to have a decent idea of where these teams are. A team like Cincinnati starts off 0-2. They handle the Jets comfortably. All right, now we know, hey, 
we don't have to hit the panic button on, on the Bengals like people wanted to at 0-2 because we've seen them play a bad team. We can kind of write off the first two losses. Same thing with the with the Packers, right? They lose week one, then they roll off. They crush Chicago. They pull off a big win against Tampa Bay. Uh, and, and we can start to feel a little bit more comfortable with everything. Totally. And, and one actual real thing that you can see that changes in week three, it's the first time that PFF starts grading players. I don't know if you saw it. It's like, this yeah. is the week. Now they have two weeks of data. They'll actually start showing the grades, which is always so surprising. Um, it really is. But, and then you find out how accurate those are towards the end of the year and the more data samples you get and everything. But man, it's really great to see as you're going through in case you need a gut check as a fan, watch those beginning games the beginnings of games, get those, get those introductions. You can see it on PFF's website if you sign up, but it's really great to get caught up to and be like, Oh man, like this player, like Jeff Akuda took a big step up this year, right? He's yeah. been playing really well. I never like, I haven't watched too much of the lines on red zone, right? That's good to see. So like there, there's some good uh, hints there. And again, those happen in week three. So you're right. Like here's a time now looking forward, we're in the season. Yeah. And positions too, that maybe you don't necessarily that aren't for the casual fan or, or even like a big fan who, who doesn't know all the ins and outs of everything. Like, like Jordan Davis is the eighth, eighth highest ranked defensive tackle <laughs> yeah. already. And he's, yeah. and now granted, he's only playing, you know, 45% of snaps. He's not playing a ton of snaps, but it does go to show you they do such PFF does such a good job of explaining why certain players are succeeding, right? Like in, in, posi- in ways that you normally wouldn't see, like it's hard to judge a defensive tackle unless you know the importance of what their job actually entails. Right. If you, you know, a defensive <laughs> tackles, unless you're Aaron Donald is not going to have three sacks through three games. They're going to do things against the run. They're going to take up double teams and all that stuff gets measured into this equation in order to kind of give you a more holistic, you know, assessment of mm-hmm. kind of what these positions, what these guys are doing. And, and same thing for the teams as well. Cause we do have enough of, of a sample size. Yeah. Um, and I think real quick on, on what you yeah. said in the opening, a lot of close games, there are some close games, but I didn't feel even the bills dolphins, right. It wasn't like, man, these teams are flying. They're playing really well. Like the bills defense is playing well, but in general, like that's not a game you look at. It's like, Oh, high execution, close games, but not, not very high execution. I feel like, especially on the offensive side and the defenses in the NFL. I mean, look around. I think there's only been, I want to double check this. Yeah. The Ravens and the Jaguars are the only teams to score over 30 points this week. Right. They're, they're just really right now. The offenses haven't been blowing it up this week. Like they were the last two. No. I, and, and we've had a lot of interesting matchups, right? Like the bears being two and one, yeah. you know, like, and, and part of that's matchups. Part of that is also the weather, right? Like yeah, th- there's a lot of teams monsoon. that like, you'll never be able to tell me that the bears are a better football team than the Raiders. The Raiders don't look good, and the Raiders have a ton of problems. Don't get me wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Bears are a better football team, you know. And so there's still plenty of room for error in all this. Uh, even the undefeated teams like Philly and Miami, uh, and we'll see what happens with the Giants tonight yeah. as as they're two and zero. And by the time people are listening to this, you'll know obviously what happened with the with the Cowboys and the Giants. But uh, we, we don't have a, a dead set. Like there's still issues with those teams, as as Scotty and I were kind of talking about with the Eagles on uh, Friday's pod. So with that being said, let's get into it. Um, we'll start with Thursday night's game. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it uh, because honestly it was, it was a game I didn't really care for much at all. Uh, Browns, Steelers, uh, Jacoby Brissett, man, credit where credit's due. 
for a guy who really seemingly was kind of out of most people's zeitgeist when it came to someone who could come in and play like high level football, he's looked pretty good. Um, And I think on the Steelers side of it, because to be honest, it's just roster wise. I mean, Mitch is just not, he's not the guy, you know, and, and and I was hopeful that we might see a better version of him this year. Uh, We've seen the exact same version of Mitch Trubisky that we saw before. Uh, I'm excited for whenever Kenny Pickett gets into the mix, because I do think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. But if TJ Watt was playing and you had him still, right, this Steelers defense goes from being middle of the pack to uh, more on the bad side to, to, to a formidable defense. That's the impact that he makes. Browns, on the other hand, they're a good roster. We knew that they were a good roster. Uh, and they can kind of run the ball at will when they want to do that. So it, it made sense that the Browns end up winning this game big. I know they scored a late garbage time touchdown there uh, on one of the last plays of the game. But at the same time, Steelers, they're not a great football team. Uh, I, I think they'll probably be in that six-win range, uh, and at least on pace for that until we see whether or not you know Kenny Pickett comes in and maybe can spark some life. Totally. And then on that Brown side, his first game, Amari Cooper really showed up. Seven catches, 100 yards, touchdown. Um, yeah. And Joku had a big game, but really that was it. And so, you know, Donald Peoples-Jones really didn't have a massive impact there. And it was nice to see some other people step up because we hadn't seen that in the first two weeks. Um, yeah, the defense played well for the Browns. I mean, good win there. On the Steelers side, I mean, I think we're all just waiting to see Kenny Pickett. So, that's that's where that's it. I don't think that's going to change anytime this season. I think you're right. That team, they'll play, they'll do a report, whatever. But all of us are just like, all right, show me when Kenny Pickett gets in. Until that happens, I'm I'm holding out. George George Pickens with an unbelievable catch, though. Oh, tch. that was. I mean, doing his best Odell Beckham impersonation. That was the closest yeah. thing to that, the Odell catch that I've seen since since Odell did that. Oh, for that sure. If that I, happened, I, was, I I was talking about this. I was at a with a group of dudes this weekend at a bachelor party. We were saying like. If that happened before OBJ, how do people feel about that catch? You know what I mean? And it wasn't prime time. It wasn't, it didn't have the same circumstances around it. That probably is like the catch of the year, all this stuff, right? And then Odell Beckham would do it. If he had it later, that would be still, I think, blown up as one of the best. But like, I think this catch is underrated because we just saw a version of this that happened so incredibly crazy in a prime time game with OBJ. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to somebody uh, at the bar that I work at about that catch. Uh, I was there when it happened, and they were trying to tell me that it was. They thought it was better than the OBJ catch. And look, oh, oh, that, the OBJ catch is the best catch of it. It was three fingers. It was a touchdown. He stayed in bounds, crossing the goal line. There's just no comparison. Level of difficulty. It was a significantly further throw, which means it was coming in at more velocity. Like. Don't get me wrong. The George Pickens catch was fucking unbelievable. And the fact that he was falling backwards and everything like no, no disparaging there on the George Pickens catch, but let's not get into a conversation here to try to compare the two. Cause the the Odell catch is, is, is all time. Um, But yeah, so the Browns move the two and one, they are in first place in the uh, AFC North, but obviously it's a long season and uh, the Baltimore Ravens also at two and one. Uh, they're going to be a problem for people. And I, I think the Ravens and we'll, we'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, I do think the Ravens are the best team in that division. Uh, all right, let's talk about the game of the day that involved one of the, the, the play that's blown up the internet. Right. And yeah, one of the things is when we do this pod, we, we record on Mondays. So everyone's gotten their takes off for 24 hours. Everyone's made every joke imaginable. Um, 
I think I saw like 13 tweets in a row that were all the same variation of the same joke about the butt punt. Mm. It was unbelievable. It was hilarious. It was crazy. The one thing, though, that I can't get out of my head in regards to that play is the level of impact that it had, right? The Dolphins were up four when that play happens, right? So the, the Dolphins, or sorry, the Bills are up four when that happens. That, that play completely changed the direction of which the game went. 100%. This changed it from, okay, we're going to get the ball out and they're going to get around midfield, but they have to score a touchdown. So now we're going to punt from our 20 and they're going to get the ball probably around the 40 or 30 of their own side. And all they have to do is get a field goal. I mean, that's a massive difference in the game. And, and you're right. It, it, it gave life back to Buffalo that he shouldn't have had after not getting that fourth down, they turn the ball over. I mean, give credit to that Buffalo defense and what they were able to do. Um, when you look at it, technically, they had a net of 19, right? They, they scored the two, technically. But in general, they did a pretty good job with that banged-up secondary that was all the three sixth-round rookies, right, playing. And somehow this comes down to special teams, like a lot of NFL games do, these hidden plays that maybe don't – this one makes the highlight reel, but a lot of little things, like a 30-yard punt here still matters. And anyway – You've seen teams in this situation, to your point, purposely take a safety sometimes. If you're down by like, if you're up six, right? It doesn't matter. They still need a touchdown. They want to gain some some place and not punt from the back of the end zone. That's happened before. This is not like that. This was a absolute mess up. Um, the impact, it gave Bills life. And if the Bills would have won, and they should have won in my opinion, right? They, they, they messed this game up and gave it away at the end. And due to that, like they, they let this Miami team off the hook with one of the most ridiculous plays. Like this, this should be, we should be talking about the three and zero bills in my opinion. And how I can't believe Miami. We thought they were for real. They played really well, but a butt punt. And that's why you're not undefeated. Right. Yeah, like I mean, that's but my take. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, that the butt punt would have been much more significant if Buffalo was able to clock the ball. You know, if they had three more seconds on the clock when McKenzie makes that play and they're in field goal territory and Buffalo finds a way to win the game. Um, but well, that at the, was at, at the same time though, I, I think I would have walked away from this being more impressed with Miami than I was like, even if they had lost this game, Miami showed something that I, and, and to go to the Tua thing, Tua made two really, really like, elite level throws the the touchdown on the on the um the quick slant it was like not quick slant but it was like the mid mid level medium like like deep cross um that the post route that was an, a, a really really hard throw and Tua absolutely sizzled it in there perfectly accurate it was a great throw other than that though Tua had another pretty pedestrian day um, yeah. And the one thing that I heard, and I was very close to just betting the over in this game, um, Buffalo was missing. I don't know if you saw this stat or not, but combined their secondary, including safety. So all four of their starting secondary members had three career games started between them. God. And Tua had Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Mike Gesicki, all Chase Edmonds, all the weapons, Cedric Wilson, all the weapons that we know that they have done there. And Tua threw for 189 yards. Now, credit to Buffalo for, for making life difficult. Um, the play disparity here, here's another crazy stat for you. There's been two times in the NFL that uh, a, since a certain year 
that a team has had less than 40 plays and won the game. So this was the third time since a certain year. That year was 1940. Jesus. Three times since 1940 has a team had 40 or less plays and won a football game. And somehow Miami found a way to do that. And ultimately in the NFL, like that's what it takes. But this was a statistical anomaly. The Buffalo Bills ran 90 plays in this game. They had 500 yards. The Dolphins barely had 200. Yeah. I mean, so, and the, the Dolphins defense like came to play, but they had so multiple turnovers that they didn't cash in on. Yes. And Buffalo has now fallen into this weird trap. Uh, trap. I know there's been the stats circulating here about Buffalo, but dating back to, la- uh, to um, 2020, the Buffalo Bills are one in nine in one possession games. Mm-hmm. And some of them are bad breaks. Some of them are the, the coin flip, right? Yep. You know, in the game against Kansas City in the playoffs last year. But some of them are the game against Jacksonville. And I, it's weird because I don't know quite whether to be concerned about it or not. I, I'm not concerned about it because I'm not worried about Buffalo long term. Buffalo's still going to be one of the best teams in the NFL, no question. But it is a little bit at least interesting here that this Buffalo team, for as good as they are, when they get to a pinch, like Buffalo had a 17-play, 73-yard drive, marched all the way down the field, and then on fourth and and whatever it was, fourth and I think like six or seven, Josh Allen has a wide-open receiver going out to the pylon, and he completely short-armed it. And the thing is, is I'm not putting this game on uh, on Josh Allen. This isn't Josh Allen's fault. Nothing about this game was Josh Allen's fault. Josh Allen played an amazing football game. But it's the fact that they constantly rely on him. And when he's throwing the ball 50 to 60 times a game in these close shootout games, sometimes you just don't have it at the end of games. Well, and, and I feel no, you're for- absolutely right. And, and, and you can't put it all on the quarterback. There's a great interview. I think we were talking about Sean Payton, who I love watching on analysis this year. But he's talking about how, like, no matter what your quarterback is going to be in those positions, right? You're going to need your quarterback for 10 to 15 plays a game. Buffalo makes that. I'm going to need my quarterback for 40 to 50 plays a game to make the play. They put yeah. every single play on him. He's their leading rusher, right? He's their leading. He's thrown for over 400 yards here, multiple touchdowns, no picks. Now they did have a fumble. But at the end of the day, to me, this game came down to at the end of the game, um, the wide receiver who caught at the end of the, of the game is running to the sideline, trying to get out of bounds. And he's making jukes. And he's trying to make this happen. And he's not gaining yards. He's not losing yards. He's just running to the right. He gets tackled and runs all the way back to the middle of the field, hands the ball, does all this. I did the analysis, just cut it up, did a little play with play, everything like that. If he just slides and gets down in the middle of the field and hands the ball to the ref as they come and lines up, they probably get that. They at least get a kickoff. Now, I'm not saying that's what the game came down to either because I do think there were execution problems all over the place, but I agree. It's an offensive problem, but I don't think it's a Josh Allen problem, and that's what concerns me about Buffalo. No, they're just asking him to do too much. Yeah, that's what I mean. Part of, I mean, 63 pass attempts, man, in this game, and he completed 42 of them. It's crazy. Like the like has a good stat line. Yeah, your quarterback completed 40 passes in an NFL game against a good team. And you lost. And obviously, like everything, you saw the frustration. Josh Allen slams his helmet. Everyone's been making, talk about jokes online, all the different like reels and Instagram stuff and, and TikToks about the um, offensive coordinator slamming his shit down in the box and just freaking out. 
and then someone reaching a hand out over to cover the camera, yeah, which Ken, is hilarious. Ken Dorsey. Yeah. Yeah. But honestly, y- you get that. Like that's a team that clearly they're like, we should have won this game. We gave this away. And again, to me, this bill, this loss feels like this could be one of the two losses that they have this year. This, this is probably like what you would say is a quote unquote good loss where you dominated the game and this resets the team and we'll get them focused to fix some problems. But this Bills team doesn't have any problems. I don't think this will happen again for a long time. Um, I don't know how the Dolphins are 3-0, and but I'll tell you what, I'd take the Bills in a rematch any day. And, and I would too. And I think playing in Miami is a big part of it. The Heat has traditionally in the AFC East, mm-hmm. the Northeast teams, especially later in the year, going down there, dealing with the heat, the humidity, and all that stuff. I mean, the offensive line was gassed. Josh Allen was gassed. I mean, yeah, yeah that the embrace between him and Tua at the end of the game, right? Like – all, all of that stuff, it was, it was very apparent that Josh Allen and this team was, was getting crushed by the, the humidity and the heat in Miami. Buffalo's the better football team. I, I don't think anybody would say that. Also, I think for the first time this year, Buffalo didn't play a complete game. Um, the defense, I think, did enough given the circumstances. And, and honestly, you could argue even more than that, again, considering that Their entire secondary was out, uh, which contained some of their best players. And come later in the season when these teams play again, they'll have those guys back. But, you know, for for Buffalo, and I like what you said there. This is is a a, a reality check game. You know, this is a, hey, you fell asleep watching Netflix and you woke up and the screen's still up and it says, hey, are you sure you want to keep watching? You know, or are those days where you just binge watch a million hours of shows and there's like, are you sure you don't want to go outside and, 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 and see the sun for a second? Like this was a reality check game for Buffalo and, and Buffalo, I think needed to be challenged a little bit, especially considering the way that the first two games went where they beat the shit out of the Rams and then they beat the shit at Tennessee and the Rams are a good team. We know that in Tennessee, you know, I don't think they're a bad team. I don't think they're, you know, number one seed in the AFC, like they were last year kind of team but they're still not a bad team. And now they got challenged by a team that has a lot of weapons while they were undermanned and Buffalo still arguably could have, and arguably should have walked away from this game with a win. And uh, they came up Mm -hmm. a little bit short, made a couple of small errors uh, and, and the dolphins came away with a big win. The dolphins, however, I give them mad respect in this game because I'm telling you, this is, this is a hard game to win in the NFL. It's it's all about finding a way to win, right? Because your game plan is not always going to go great. You're not always going to put up a shitload of yards. You're not always going to be able to put up 28 points in the fourth quarter. You're not always going to be have the perfect offensive game plan that you're looking for. You have to find a way to win. And at the end of the day, like that's what Miami did. Miami found a way to win. And Tua made a, Tua made a couple of throws in this game. He he got called on to, um, they should have. And the last thing I'll say about this game too, uh, Tua should not have been allowed back in this game. And for the stink that the NFL has and, and the shit the NFL has gone through with the concussion protocol and everything else, um, I know people like to like, try to make light of it or, you know, or, or whatever. But, like, Tua being allowed and, and cleared to come back in this game after he barely – he literally stumbled like he couldn't stand after he slammed his head to the ground. And then the, the nerve to call it a back injury, um, not great. Not not great from the Miami staff there. Yeah, and I don't care what it if it's a back spasm that may I don't care what it is. We're at the point in football where a player that gets hit like that and has that reaction needs to at least be at least be evaluated. Like right, like that. Well, and he did. Like he they they brought him back, 
but, but it have, was quick we have independent spotters in the league to be able to make these calls and say, Hey, you got to pull him out and check him. But now I guess we can't even rely on the, on the medical staffs to check them properly because to, again, it's the Miami staff that cleared him to come back in the game. Totally. And, and the thing, the thing about that, right. And if you played sports, you've had like, yeah, I've also like, I feel like everyone's been there where you've had an absolute, you, know, you slam heads or you, you get hit hard and you're just like wobbly for a second. And then you get back your bearings and you're like, Oh, I'm okay. And you could probably pass all that stuff, whatever, but just give them a series off. Like, I, I don't know. It was just a little, um, again, for all the emphasis put on it, it wasn't a good visual for the NFL. You can at least say that no matter what side you're on of any debate, right? Like that was yeah. not a good visual. No. Uh, and, and they got lucky too. It was right before the half. So they had half time to let him kind of catch his breath. But like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I thought, it, I thought it was a bad look. That was a bad look. Yeah. Um, definitely was not a good visual for the league for Miami. Um, but one cool thing about Tua, right. I know, um, as a left-handed guy, I, I, I do appreciate the fact that he's following in Steve Young's footsteps and still of efficiency. Student had another passer rating of, it was 123.8. Um, again, didn't ask, he wasn't asked to do a lot, not like the other side, right? Miami's defense was impressive here. They, they gave up a lot of yards. They bend, they didn't break. They made third down stops when they had to. And it wasn't like they made a lot of them. So I'll tell you what, I'm pretty sure, um, you know, Buffalo was, was killing it on the offensive side in terms of efficiency, even. Uh, and if you look here, yeah, they had, thir- there were 11 of 18 on third downs. Yeah. Buffalo was that's insane. That in the fact that those seven stops, right. Held Buffalo to not scoring and only having 19 points. I mean, credit to the dolphins defense for making timely plays. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. They made big plays in moments that they needed to make big plays in, and they ended up being the most impactful ones. And for, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, I'm not worried about like every, no. every great Super Bowl team has games like this. Um, it's, I'm more curious to see how they kind of bounce back from it. Right. My dad always used to say that it's not what happens in your, to you in your life. It's how you respond to it. And I, that's a big thing in football. I, and I think how Buffalo responds to this, whether it changes them at all, I don't think it will. Cause I think mm. Buffalo has been there. They've done that. They've lost much bigger games than this and they're going to learn from it. They're going to come back. And I still think they're the best team in the NFL, despite everything that happened. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the next most surprising games here. The Indianapolis Colts get their first win <laughs> of the year, stealing one from the Kansas city chiefs. Um, some interesting officiating in this game, uh, but but more than that, just the Chiefs looking out of sync. We saw the back and forth and the um, uh, the, the the kind of sl- slight screaming match between Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes, um, yeah. which I didn't read as much into as social media did. Right? I mean, no. that's just competitive guys who were frustrated by the way the game was turning out. Um, I will say this, I. This was the version of the Chiefs that I think a lot of people expected to see coming into this game, this season, right? A lot of people thought no Tyreek. Um, they were feeding the ball to, to Travis Kelsey. And, and in the first half, you know, Kansas City looked good. Like, they looked fine. Um, it was the second half with the offense getting completely stagnated and the Colts honestly selling out on the run. Uh, the Chiefs, their two games, had been one of the better running teams in the NFL, kind of surprisingly. And – the Chiefs complete or the Colts completely sold out and stopped the run. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire finished with seven carries for zero yards and a touchdown, which is a hilarious stat line. Um, but nonetheless, they kind of said, Hey, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with 
Juju and you're going to beat us with MVS and you're going to beat us with Sky Moore and all these all these guys. And this is the first time that we kind of saw that work a little bit. Now they were playing in Indianapolis uh, mm-hmm. and and ultimately I think this Chiefs team is still the best team in the AFC West, but I I, I see now some of the holes, right? Like I, I'm I'm more I think we're more likely to see more of the Chiefs against the Chargers and in, in uh, on Thursday night than we are the Colts and the way that they as much as we saw them play against the the, the Colts. Wow, that was a total word vomit there. Um, but I think you guys understand what yeah. I'm trying to say. I, I'm expecting this them is... to look better more of more often than they look worse. I agree with you. And this is a, a low game. I was impressed with the Colts. So you said the defense, I was actually impressed with the chiefs defense too. They totally held told Jonathan Taylor in check. And this became Matt Ryan's game. Really? Um, you know, they asked him to make plays at certain points. He did a lot on third down. Um, you know, th- the one also crazy thing is that uh, on when you're thinking about the chiefs, right. High powered offense and doing all this stuff. They really, they barely had over 300 yards. I just think this Colts defense without Darius Leonard looked really good and they're going to add him back soon. Like when he comes back and that's that defense is for real. And Matt Ryan is, I think the right guy at the right point in his career. I think Jonathan Taylor had one of his worst games. So on the Colts side, I think you have something to look forward to the chiefs defense impressed me and showed me something that I didn't think they had. And to your point, the offense looked like what people were concerned about. Juju still made plays. Um, you know, Travis Kelsey got the ball a few times, found himself in the end zone, but <clears throat> there was also a lot of different plays where this team didn't do well. Um, they were three for 10 on third down. They couldn't do, get it done on third down. And at the end of the day, they couldn't have long lasting drives. The, the, they ended up around even, I mean, they're a little less, they're actually, you know, seven minutes less than the Colts in time of possession. They had a pick. I mean, at this, at the point when you boil this game down, it's like, man, you lost the turnover battle. And when this is a low scoring defensive game, that's probably what what's going to end it for you. And you couldn't run the ball at all. No. Oh, and I think, I think the, the, the word I would use for the chiefs is sloppy. I thought the chiefs looked really sloppy in this game. Yeah. It looked like an opportunity for them. Or it looked like a situation for them where they, they come off of a big Thursday night win. They have a few extra days off. They're coming in against a team that hasn't won a game yet. That's looked really bad through two weeks. And this is the one thing, too, that I, I talk about all the time, the human element when it comes to sports that we do a bad job of, of um, incorporating when we kind of analyze a lot of these games, which is that the Colts, they I don't say they wanted it more. Right. But their backs were up against the wall. Right. Like human nature. It's the same thing when I say like, oh, a team's down three one or teams down three oh in the NBA finals or in, in the NBA playoffs. Right. Like. When your back's against the wall, you are just playing with an extra level of desperation. And as weird as it is to say after only three games, or this being only the third game, this was a must-win game for the Colts. The Colts couldn't go 0-2-1 after losing to uh, Jacksonville the way that they did. And after tying the Houston Texans, as we've seen now, who are 0-2-1, that's not a way you can start off the season and feel good about where you're at. And I feel more inclined to believe that this was a desperation game for the Colts. You saw it at the line of scrimmage on both sides uh, and the defense came out to play and they had an opportunity in the second half, then get a big stop in the fourth quarter. And then Matt Ryan goes down the field and, you know, people make the joke about Matty ice because they had obviously the 28 to three when he was in Atlanta and some other shortcomings there in the fourth quarter in the playoffs. But 
he's in the top six, I think, all time now in fourth quarter comebacks. Like, he's really, really good in the fourth quarter on game-winning drives. Um, and I think it's a really good sign for the Colts that they had this little, hey, this is a backbone game, right? This is a, hey, are we going to be tested or are we going to come up a little bit short? And they didn't come up short. They came after it. Um, and, and in addition to the fact that I think the Chiefs played really sloppy. I think, again, 2-0, and coming off of a big Thursday night win against the division rival, and you get this extra time off. Maybe you underestimate your opponent a little bit. And the Colts came out and smacked him in the mouth. And that's the beautiful thing about the NFL is that you can't do that in the NFL. You have to bring your top shit every single game. And even though the Chiefs didn't win the Super Bowl last year, didn't even make the Super Bowl, the Chiefs still have that massive target on their back over, for what they've been over the last five years. Right. It's the same oh, yeah. thing with it's the same thing with the Patriots. When the Patriots were going through their run, even though they didn't make it to the Super Bowl every single year, they didn't win the Super Bowl every single year. They had cemented themselves as the team with the biggest target on their back. And with Mahomes and how talented he is, it's clear that Kansas City ha- is still that team. You know, when you go up against Kansas City, even if it's not the same version of Kansas City that won a Super Bowl, even if they didn't win the Super Bowl the year before, you still treat them as a team that has that massive target on them as like, hey, this is a huge game for us, and we have to show out. And the Colts did, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And to do that without Darius Leonard, to your point, I thought was was really impressive. I'm not worried mm-hmm. about the Chiefs, just like I'm not worried about Buffalo. Um, and and the part of this, too, is with this new offense, for a long time, Kansas City was able to rely on the pure athleticism of Tyreek uh, in addition to having a guy like Travis Kelsey there. And it's going to take more adjustments now because they don't have that safety net. They could be creative and use Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to come up with all these fun offensive plays for a long time because they had Tyreek and they had that blind athleticism to base off of. So they could kind of do both. Well, now it just has to kind of come from, hey, how creative can we be? How do we adjust? Because if you don't adjust, the NFL catches up to you quick. Um, and there's going to be a lot of teams, I think, that are starting to face that now. In an NFL season that seems to have as much parity as, as one that I can remember. Um, anything else from this game before we move on? No, let's hop it. All right. Uh, let's go to the other close two games here. Um, the Raiders and the Titans. Titans. The sneak- Raiders. The Raiders. Uh, the Titans sneak away with a two-point win here. The Raiders come down in the fourth quarter. Uh, kick a field goal and then uh, almost end up scoring uh, a t- or almost getting the two point conversion after scoring the touchdown against Tennessee. Um, I don't know, man. I, I don't believe the Raiders are as bad as their record indicates they are, but some of the disparage, uh, the disparity between their first and second and second, and first quarters, it's like every single game so far, they've played one really, really good half of football and they've played one really, really bad half of football. Uh, this was a game I expected to see Tennessee come out and play well, 17 points in the second quarter, and then a whole lot of nothing after yeah. that. Um, but the Raiders as a whole, something doesn't quite feel right. It feels like Derek Carr, um, this new offense, it just part of that might just be a learning curve, right? I think we've seen that with some, some new head coaches and quarterbacks and quarterbacks changing teams and new weapons. Um, it, I think the chemistry is just not there. I still think the Raiders are going to be a team that like is going to get on a hot streak at some point is going to rattle off four or five wins, but I don't see them getting much further than, you know, eight wins max, especially starting off the season. zero and three and Tennessee, on the other hand, 
uh, I think Tennessee is very much in the same boat that they've been in, which is just like Derrick Henry looked really good this week after having a really bad game last week on Monday night against mm-hmm. the, against Buffalo. And Ryan Tannehill is going to make some mistakes. He's going to make some really good throws and you're just going to kind of live with that. I was very disappointed in what I saw from Tennessee. <clears throat> the fact that you're up, you know, um, at that point you're up 24 to 10 at half and you come out, you can't score another point, even though you have a team that is built for running the game out. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Hit some play action. It didn't happen. Um, it was disappointing to see from their side. Um, this is something crazy though. I think that defense, both defenses in the, in the second half um, played pretty well, but the defense from Tennessee Talk about opportunistic. Again, I, I kind of hit on the same kind of stats as we go through this because they're my keys to the game, right? Turnovers, third down. These are numbers that every coach looks at, right, when they get ready for a press conference or they go back and they start reviewing the game. The Raiders were one of 12 on third down and three of three on fourth, which makes – it's kind of hilarious. Um, but, like, they couldn't get it done on third, and somehow they could on fourth, which is what kept them in it towards the end. But this game – the Titans had their defense really won it and held on, but they could not run the ball well in the second half. Um, I don't know. It just, this game had low amount of possessions. I will say that Um, it it was a really strange game. This felt like a college football game when you're watching like, you know, the big 10 West just run it against each other a little bit. Um, It wasn't that boring, but I mean, in terms of the possessions, like it was very limited and that makes the game speed up. Um, this is an early game that was done. And at the same time, it was just, you're watching this game and you're like, is Tannehill really good enough to win this game? Cause to your point, if I'm repicking this, I'm still picking the Raiders to win. I don't know why I, I just don't know, but like Tennessee getting a win here was an unimpressive win to me. And the fact that that's their only win on the season, I might be out on Tennessee. I mean, this, I like what the Colts are showing me. I love what the Jags are showing me even, you know, over these first three weeks, I'm not impressed with the Titans, and I think they've really taken a step back on the offensive side. That defense is still good, but I'm, I'm not impressed. I think they lost more than they realized when they lost A.J. Brown, and we're seeing the impact that he's made in Philadelphia, but more than that, Tennessee, for all of their faults, like they're going to win a bunch of games like this this year, which are games where they're probably playing more talented teams, but they're not anywhere as cohesive as Tennessee. Like Even without A.J. Brown, Tennessee is still – a really cohesive football team. Like they've, they've been doing this now for what, five, six seasons under Mike Vrabel. This isn't new for them to Mm -hmm. go out and win games ugly and close like this. This has kind of been their MO for a long time. Now it does seem like Derek Henry is not quite the same guy. They're battling with injuries. Uh, Taylor Lewan, their starting left tackle is done for for the year. Uh, They lost him on Monday night football, but they are a really well-coached team. And I do think the defense in Tennessee, I don't think it's fantastic, but again, it's well-coached, uh, great schematically, and they get the most out of their guys there, which has kind of been a lot of what uh, Mike Vrabel's done through the majority of his career, which is finding ways to, to, get, to get the most out of guys who maybe aren't overall as talented. Um, Robert Woods, it's honestly, again, it's pretty amazing what nine, 10 months removed from his ACL injury uh, that, that he's not yeah. only playing, but I mean, being a pretty important part and the first half, he played a huge role. I mean, he had four catches for 85 yards. He had one really, really long play 
uh, receiving wise, that that was the bulk of his of his you know overall yardage. But other than that, it's just like Traylon Burks had one catch. Um, Austin Hooper, the tight end, he gets two targets, two catches for 19 yards. Uh, and then after Robert Woods, I mean, you're you're banking on a rookie and a uh, a, a guy who's in Robert Woods, who's a great player, but coming off of a significant injury as your top, you know, receiving targets. And that's just not going to get it there, you know? Um, and with the way that Jacksonville's looking, who has way more speed and athleticism all around the field than, than a team like Tennessee, it does feel like Tennessee is going to take a step back. Now, that being said, too, Tennessee was the one seed in the AFC last year. So uh, it, it's hard to replicate that. 12 wins is a hard feat to get to in the NFL, even with the additional game. So I think a regression was likely to happen anyway. Um, but they, they don't have the playmakers there anymore. What they do have is a cohesive unit. They have a good head coach. They have a good coaching staff. And I think they'll be able to at least win more games like this and get to that seven to nine win range. I don't think that's out of question for this team. Uh, and, and playing Buffalo week two, like I'm not going to put much stock into that Monday night in Buffalo with the way that that team was rolling. Uh, and then again, they probably should have beaten Not probably they definitely should have beaten the giants and had a field goal um, mm-hmm. chance there at the end. And, and, you know, fat Randy hooks it left. So um it's tough. It's it's a tough situation because this this Titans team could be two and one with two hard fought wins, and the conversation about them is probably a lot more. Uh, it's probably a lot different, but ultimately, like God, that Giants loss is going to haunt them too. The Giants, mm-hmm. the Giants are the worst offensive team in football so far, and somehow they're two and zero. They're two and zero. They're they're the only team. You ready for this? Um, I was looking this up. They're the only team that scored less points than the Broncos. Broncos are two and one somehow. They're two and zero. The bottom two scores in the NFL. Are two and one and two and zero. Oh. It's crazy. Yeah, but the yeah, but the Broncos also have played one more game. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, Which and they're I, still like. Yeah. I feel like that was more of a cell phone than you. <laughs> oh no, it's crazy how bad those two offenses have been, but how they're somehow winning doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and part of that too is early season matchups and whatnot. And that game against the Titans in Week One for the Giants was super ugly. But I'm not, I'm not worried about the Titans. I don't think they're. I, and I said this in the offs in the preseason. I didn't think the Tennessee would be a, a playoff team. I, I didn't think they would win the division. I thought they would be in that like eight to nine win range. I thought they would look a little bit better than this, um, but relying on a rookie wide receiver who has had shown flashes. Um, and then obviously Robert Woods coming off the injuries just is a lot there. And the Raiders, um, again, I think they're better than an zero and three team. And I do think they'll get on a hot streak at some point this, uh, th- this season, but so far it hasn't looked great. Uh, All right, let's go to the NFC North matchup, the Minnesota Vikings fourth quarter comeback win. uh, And the Lions almost end up stealing that game at the last second. This is so you'll look at the final score and you look at the way the game ended, because I believe these two teams had a very, very, very similar ending to a game last season in Detroit uh, where Kirk Cousins came in. I think it was like week 17 or week 16. It was towards the end of the season where Minnesota came in, scored a last second touchdown. Uh, and it was literally, it played out almost the exact same way. Uh, this Detroit team, this felt different because this is a game that Detroit should have won. Like yeah. un- unquestionably Detroit's up 14, nothing. Then they give up 14 unanswered before the half. Then they go up 10 in the third quarter and give up another 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter. That is a rough stretch for uh, a team that has shown a lot of purpose. Now, look, DeAndre Swift, not 100%. Uh, 
Uh, Jamal Williams showed some stuff. Amon Ross St. Brown gets banged up, misses uh, about half of the game, and he's been so big for them. But from what this Detroit team has looked like, this was a pretty bad loss for the Lions. For a team that, again, Detroit should be 2-1 and right now, and the Vikings should be 1-2. and Totally agree. I mean, the, the Lions brought it here. I, I don't understand what's going on, especially on their defensive side. I mean, yeah, when you have a, a lead and you, you've got, again, you got a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter, you got to be able to finish it out. Um, I don't understand exactly what's happening here with the Lions, but this feels like some vintage Lions shit where they're just finding a way to lose, and it's concerning. It's it less feels about- even worse than vintage line shit because they actually had hope and like confidence that they should be winning this game. Yes. And at the end, like, I, I just don't know what to say besides they blew it. Um, th- this is one of those games that wasn't featured a lot on red zone. I can tell you that um, at the end of the game, it was right. It was a lot of big plays and flash plays, but like, uh, Man, this is this is one of those games where you you won time of possession by almost you know ten minutes more than the opponent. You're as the Lions, you have more, way more penalties, but at the end of the day, you didn't get it done. Um, very similar quarterback stat lines. The only difference was J- Kirk Cousins was two touchdowns, no picks. Jared Goff was one touchdown, one pick. I mean, they, they literally were both basically they both threw forty one times, both had around two hundred sixty yards. Like it was it was wildly eerie similar, but like. I don't think they played a similar game. I, I like how Jared Goff is playing this year, but man, the lions, even Jamal Williams coming in and really taking the, the load of the carries. I mean, he's a good back and he's, yeah, he's a, he's a fantastic second back. Yeah. And, and the whole team looked great. Um, Madison even coming in, both sides looked great running the ball. It's just, man, I can't believe, I just can't believe it. Like, and again, I think it's the hard knocks effect man, we're all rooting for the Lions right now, and it sucks to see this. Like, I want you to win these games. I need you to go out and finish these goddamn games so we can be excited about Detroit. And uh, you're, you're just, I don't know, man. Hard Knocks need to stick in Sydney through the whole season so we can see what's going on right now in that locker room. Right. And, and I've, I had the same thing. And the other thing that's frustrating about this game, too, if you're a Lions fan, is that this, was, this is the game that people who are Kirk Cousins stands, this is like you don't understand football. Yeah. But right. Yeah. Like, and um, this is also frustrating too, because, and I've made the comparison and this is why I would still say that Dak is a better quarterback than Kirk cousins, but this is how Kirk cousins has gotten his stats to look identical to Dak Prescott is games like this, where he's checking down 90% of the time and he's dumping balls off to, to Dalvin cook and Alexander Madison. I mean, you have, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson on this team. And a good quarterback is going to be willing to throw into tight, tight spots is going to be willing to challenge guys is going to be willing to throw up balls and say, Hey, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson are two of the arguably the in, in the top five, at least one, two punches at wide receiver in the NFL. I'm going to go give them the freaking ball. And instead it's check down Kirk cousins. And then he yeah. ends up with, you know, 300 yards and a high completion percentage and their fans go, Oh, what? Look at his stats. Kirk cousins. No, Kirk cousins sucked. And Jared Goff absolutely outplayed him in this game. And I think the lines were a little banged up. The defense let them down a little bit in the back half, but even still it's hard to blame the secondary because Jeff Akuda shut down Justin Jefferson. You know, it's hard to go after the yeah, guys I in mean, that Detroit secondary because they played really, really well. It, it's more the fact that, like, yeah, sometimes when you're so focused on 
Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen that you're going to have these little underneath things. And Dalvin Cook's good enough with with the ball oh, in his hands K- and space to make plays. And KJ Osborne, KJ Osborne. Yeah. he had an incredible game. He had he he led the the um, Vikings in receiving. He had a touchdown, that late touchdown. I mean, well, listen, Kirk he Cousins had an incredible a, game. Kirk Cousins didn't have a single throw over 20 yards until literally the last play of the game, which was the game-winning touchdown pass to KJ Osborne. <laughs> so, that's I, hilarious. And you're not going to come away with this as a Lions fan as a moral victory because I think you're past that based off of the way that your team has looked through two weeks. What I will say is you can chalk this up a little bit to divisional familiarity, a little bit to, hey, you know what? We're not quite there yet, but I do think we're close. And this is just this is a game for the first time with this Lions. And the first times with the Lions in a while, it was a game where you go into it and go like, the Lions should have won that game. And not just because, oh, the Lions, the plucky Lions hung around until the very last second. It's like, no, the Lions were the better football team in this game, yeah. and they blew it at the end. And the annoying thing about fucking Kirk Cousins is that he pulls off games like this, and this is how he's won big games his entire career, are these little bullshit comeback wins at the last second, and people look at his stats and they say, oh, Kirk Cousins. No, Kirk Cousins gets an adequate amount of respect for what he is. I think, if any, I think any quarterback in the NFL – I don't know, other than Tom Brady, who deserves all the accolades, I don't know if we more accurately depict a quarterback in the NFL on a national level as we do with Kirk Cousins. He gets an appropriate amount of shit, and he also gets enough respect because he will win games like this. I think he is as accurately defined as we have in the NFL when it comes to what Kirk Cousins is as a starting quarterback. I agree, but I work with a lot of people from Minnesota, and they always tell me otherwise, so I, I don't know. Well, yeah, <laughs> I got I mean, the skew of Minnesota, but yeah. It's, but that, I, that's I the agree. same way with any fan base, though. Exactly, you know? exactly. That's why like, I said I remember national. when I was telling you guys that Drew Locke was like, dude, he's still got it, man. He might have a chance. Like, I was saying that until we traded him, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I guess it. On a national level, I think we accurately have him pegged. I think, everyone, exactly. I think honestly, it's hard to make a case for anybody else to be like, oh, yeah, because, like, even fucking Jared Goff. Jared Goff's been good this year. His numbers are good. Um, and Amon Ross St. Brown's fucking amazing, dude. Dude. So good. Did, at one point in red zone this Sunday, he made like an incredible play where he jumped and almost he got leaps, the end zone. Yeah. And then I it was, cuts right to his brother at Chicago doing an end doing around end for around. 40 yards. And I'm just like, dude, these bros are crushing it right I now. I was like, mad. I was, there were two plays and we'll talk about the, the Cincinnati and Jets game later, but there were two plays this weekend that I was like, I didn't get an explanation via red zone as to why, like, I don't know why that Amon Ross St. Brown play didn't get, reviewed or talked about because it looked like he cut the corner that one was a little bit tougher but the t higgins touchdown catch in the back corner how the hell is that not a touchdown on what planet was that not a touchdown i i wanted to see that more and i didn't to your point like that was was the most that's one of the most incredible catches i've ever seen ever t higgins is a fucking stud um all right that's enough Lions and Vikings. Let's move on to the last uh, close game, but it's the game we're probably going to talk about the least. Chicago and Houston. Uh, the Lovey Smith Bowl. Lovey Smith taking his return to Chicago. Um, Justin Fields is in some trouble. And, you know, I remember, when, you know, last year we did this pod. We were talking about that quarterback class coming in. You and I had very differing opinions on Justin Fields. And I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and do a victory lap because I, I want Justin Fields to be successful. I said that at the time. I love to be wrong about these guys. It's just these are my concerns, and I would love for him to prove me wrong. I'm having a hard time trying to figure out Justin Fields because in my, my gut, and maybe this is me just being too hopeful, 
I mean, Justin Fields has completed 23 passes this year, which is the least amount that a quarterback has done since the 70s through three games. So this isn't even like a modern offense stats are outweighed. No, we're talking about the 1970s and it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they were in their creamsicles and they were, they were in their, their worst. And it was three different quarterbacks who started each game. Um, so Chicago's in, is in some trouble. However, they're not letting him do anything. No. And I don't know That's how much problem. of that is the weapons. I don't know how much of that is the scheme. I don't know how much of that is the front office and head and coaching staff realizing in camp, you know what? Justin Fields is not the guy. He doesn't see the field and we're going to minimize this. He's going to have a bad year. We're going to get a good draft pick and we're going to draft his replacement. It's going to be Bryce Young or CJ Stroud moving forward. And as much as we like to pretend like that stuff doesn't happen in the NFL, it does happen in the NFL, particularly in front offices, not necessarily players and coaches. Right. They right. go out there because their jobs depend on it. You got to put good tape out. You have to have good play design, good coaching. All that stuff matters for what their next job is. But for GMs, when you're in that job, those are you get hired to be a GM. You get hired to be a head coach to be fired eventually. And so you know you only have a finite number of time. And if this extends your window an extra year, a lot of guys in front offices do that. So, so I don't know where I don't know where where the blame. Goes. I, I've got a little different take. Obviously, I, I like Justin Fields. I think he's athletic. I think he's a great quarterback. I think he can throw the ball well. I, he, in my opinion, is one of. He came out of uh, high school the same year as Trevor Lawrence. Um, he was at that point my favorite, uh, like basically quick read player. Like anyone who runs a run like an actual RPO. He made such quick, decisive decisions and was so fast. And this coming out of high school is a long time ago, but now you're right. That translated well in the NFL. They were both studs, you know, him and, and, um, oh my God, I was just comparing him to, uh, Trevor Lawrence. So him and Trevor Lawrence had that same kind of out and in, in, in the NFL, they both had a rough start, but you cannot argue that Jacksonville is obviously a better situation than Chicago right now. I firmly believe that if he's in a better spot, we're seeing a much different Justin Fields because you're right. They don't trust him. They don't, they're not, they don't have a cast and by a cast, it's not even skill players. It's the line. I mean, this guy is getting killed all over the place. I don't like Yes, They ran the ball. Well, yesterday they ran the ball extremely well. And you know, that was basically what kept them in this game. Um, I think they ran for over 200 something yards, but I think in his post-game press conference, Justin Fields even said, I played like trash. Yeah. And he said he, it was weird to see, but he is. And I think it's frustrating for him because I don't know if they're not trusting him, teaching him what's going on, but it looks worse than it did even last year where he showed flashes. He still has the athleticism flashes and he still has a good arm. But, I mean, this is bad. And if they don't fix anything that's going on this year, not only are they going to get the first pick, he, some team is going to get him at a discount. And I think he's a guy who will end up in a second place having a good career. I don't know if it's going to take as long as it does Jacoby Brissett, some of these other guys, but I think he's a, a skillful player that will land on a roster and make himself known. I think the bears are messing up a really good young quarterback and they're going to take another one and they're going to do the same thing. And they may become the new jets here for us. It's going to be really sad to see. I hate their situation. They need to get better as a football program in general, not just a team like that program from front office all the way around. Something's going on there. And I, I'm, and I can't believe we're talking about this after they won. They won yeah. this game and it doesn't feel like it because like it was well, Roquan Smith won them the game with the interception yes. late, you know, and this is, again, these are two bad teams. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, it's, there's not a whole lot here win loss wise that I think matters. The, the thing that matters out of this game it, to me, if there's one thing, it, it's, it's Justin Fields. Like Davis Mills looked like the better quarterback between the two. He did. You know? And, and he threw a bonehead pick at the end. Like you were like, uh, well, there's one earlier than that one, but like, man, yeah, I mean, he's got, and look, Davis Mills is not something to write home about saying like, Oh, this guy's going to be some long-term stud, some great. I mean, I think he can have a nice career. I think he's a solid player, yeah. but like, Justin Fields has 45 attempts this season. It's crazy. Like Josh Literally Allen, Josh Josh Allen, Allen yeah. almost had as many completions on Sunday. He, he had 42, right? 42 completions. Yeah. That's so crazy. I, I, my big concern is I think it comes down to two things. I think one, they're not trusting him to throw the ball in games and whether or not that is, that comes from one of two things. It's either they don't trust him. And it's a coaching staff decision to say, hey, we don't want to turn the ball over. And if he's throwing the ball, he's going to turn the ball over. Or it's Justin Fields isn't seeing the field. And both of them can be true. And mm-hmm. one or the other can be true. But for whatever reason right now, the Chicago Bears are not giving him a chance to succeed. And that is either because they don't trust him or because he's not seeing the field. And I will say this, like, we're not – in practice, we don't see what it looks like day in and day out. I think there's a good chance that Justin Fields just may not be good. You know, like I was the number one, my, my worst draft take of all time was the number one quarterback in the 2017, 28 or 2018 draft on my board was Josh Rosen. And I completely whiffed on that. I hate that and, kid. And we've seen him move from multiple different positions we and, and teams in different areas, and he's gotten chances. Clearly, Josh Rosen just was not what anybody thought he was going to be. No. But I going back to my concerns with Justin Fields in college goes back to the Ryan Day, Urban Meyer, Ohio, not just Ohio State, but Urban Meyer style offense quarterback having a really hard time translating to the NFL. And there yep. will be coaches who simplify their offense to to do things that are simpler to 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 make that transition easier for these guys to do things that are familiar to these quarterbacks and then there's a whole lot of coaches who don't do that because they they want and that that's either bad coaching or again the players just not able to see anything else and they're using his legs they're using his athleticism but they don't trust him to throw the football um and for all the talent that exists with justin fields I would have really liked to see Eberflus and this new coaching staff invest in and in, in change the offense to be things that were going to help him succeed. And they just haven't been willing to do that. And um, maybe that'll change as the year goes on, but I, uh, I doubt it. Uh, all right, let's go to some of the blowouts here from the one o'clock window. Um, all right. We're going to start with my Eagles three and one of two teams undefeated, or one of two three and O teams as of right now, again, the giants might end up winning the game tonight, but mm-hmm. um, Eagles are three and O and the second half stuff. We talked about a little bit on, on Friday's pod. It's a concern. I don't love it. I would like to see them put up points, but what I will say is they've gotten ahead so early in the first half in all of these games, with the exception of the Detroit game where Detroit came back. And that's part of the reason why I'm not super worried about it. Cause the Eagles did put up some points in the second half against Detroit. Um, the defense was the storyline, right? Uh, Carson Wentz dropped back to pass eight, eight times. His first eight dropbacks 
got sacked five times, including a strip sack in his first eight dropbacks. Uh, the Eagles D line, which had looked abysmal, not abysmal, but very uh, average in the first half or the first two games of the season uh, came out to play in a major way. Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham each had a pair of sacks. Javon Hargrave has a sack nine total for this Eagles defense. Um, I, I saw a stat when James Bradbury has been targeted uh, and when Darius Slay have each been targeted, the stats are off the charts insane how good they've been in coverage so far this year. Uh, TJ Edwards is the number two ranked or graded linebacker by PFF so far this year. Uh, they, they are just, they're really good. I think they're just a really good football team. Um, and the most impressive thing about this whole team, which is not something I would have predicted saying in after three weeks has been Jalen hurts, who is the first quarterback in NFL history to have over 900 passing yards and over 150 rushing yards in his first three games. He has uh, more total yards and one less touchdown than Lamar did his MVP season. And he is throwing, he's not just throwing bubble screens and, and quick slants the whole time to, his, to these talented guys. And it's not all yards after the catch. It's the deep ball, the deep ball to AJ Brown in the first half, the deep ball at the end of the first half to Devontae Smith. Um, the, the fade route on, did you hear the story about that, that play, by the way, I know you're in Philly right now. Did you hear the Jalen hurts Devonte touchdown story? No. So it's fourth and goal clocks running out. They get the snap off with one second left on the game clock. Cause the Eagles didn't have any more timeouts. Jalen hurts called a play. There was uh, it was a play that wasn't in their game plan for this week. And he did it without. The off without the offensive coordinator uh, striking or Steichen calling it. So Jalen Hurts called a play, you know, stick in the dirt style backyard football to Devontae. I love it. That wasn't even in their game plan this week against Washington to hit Devontae on the back corner fade. And Devontae goes up and makes an unbelievable catch. Great catch, great throw. I mean, dude, Jalen's commanding this team. This team has an identity, this team has a quarterback. Like this team knows what they're doing. Not to, to everyone's point that we've all been saying. Yes, there are challenges they still have to overcome. And I love Nick Sirianni said it best in his post game press conference, or maybe it was in the it was in the speech in the locker room afterwards. He said, "Hey, this is nice. You know, Jalen will tell you to enjoy this one, but you know, we'll come back and get to work." And he's like, "Remember, this is a 17 round heavyweight fight. After every round, we're going to the corner. We're going to put the towel on our head. We're going to clean up the cuts. We're going to get better. And we're going to go back out and fight just like we did the last couple of rounds. And like just that attitude is why this team's going to get better. You know, they scored 24 in the second quarter. Um, you know, it, it was definitely a different style of game in terms of it, it, this Eagles team has been different in the last two weeks. Right. I saw them in person last week. They go out, they flash. They're scoring a bunch of points and they're holding on to games and they're still moving in the second half. They're just not getting points. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is there, but I'm not that worried. I'm really not. I, I don't know why everyone else is. I, I think this team is in just a fine state. They're literally one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, I love, obviously, shout out to Grant, the fact that he got in and got yeah, a, we, a big 40-yard catch. It was um, awesome. It was an uh, awesome it was play. It was so cool to see. And, that, and it was Goddard was out for a series with a shin injury. He ends up coming back. But Grant comes in, runs a deep drag over the middle, makes a great catch yard after the catch. I mean, he's going to fit into the offense. And I think the more comfortable he gets, obviously missing as much camp um, friend of the show, shout out Grant Calcaterra on unreal play. 
Um, and it was so cool to see that. I know I texted you and, and, and we were all, I was freaking out at home too. It was, it was so oh, freaking sweet. awesome. He technically see. right now, I mean, there's technically a minimum, but he's third in yards per catch in the NFL right now at 40 yards per reception. Yeah. Uh, hey, so. stats don't lie, man. Stats don't lie. Stats don't lie. Um, it's just, they just all together. They look really good. The offensive line looks fantastic. Uh, the, the running game, even in this game was not as good as it, as it's been in, in the first two weeks. And yet Miles Sanders still finished with like 70 yards. Like they were still moving the ball fine when they needed to run it. Um, Jay, and the other thing too, is Jalen had, I think only 20 rushing yards in this game. He was destroyed. He was lighting them up from the pocket, you know? And yes. Thing, oh they, yeah. They were, they got off to such a commanding lead that it didn't matter if they scored in the second half. Like, again, I would like to, I would like to see them put up 35. I would have liked this game to be 35 to two, you know, we were, we were in uh, Scorigami territory there for a while when it was 24 to two, um, like that would have been awesome, but all things considered, it's hard to look at this team so far and, and, and point out too many fl- flaws. And on top of it too, you can't even use the argument like we did with Carolina where it's like, they haven't played anybody. I mean, Washington's a bad football team. But Minnesota's a pretty good football team. They beat them yeah. comfortably. They smacked uh, De- them. Detroit's a good football team, and they were beating the shit out of Detroit before letting Detroit back in the game. Now, that is, like I said, that you know, leading this off, that's the reason why the second half points thing is not as concerning because they were able to move the ball and score in the second half against Detroit. So I'm not too worried about it, but the defense looks like it's come around. They have talent all over the place. They have depth all over the place. And if Jalen continues to play this way, which – he had a tweet today. Um, it was a picture of him on the sideline during the game, but it was he said a great quote, which which I'd never heard, but it was be the calm in the storm. Right. And it's yeah. and it's just like he just fucking gets it, man. After each of these games, there's been that clip that comes out of him huddling everybody up in the locker room saying it's a great win. You know, you know, we're going to enjoy this, blah, blah, blah. He says, but hey, we got we got some shit to work on. Right. We left shit on the table. We yep. got to be better. We fucked up. We got to be better at this. And, you know, and then he ends it with, but let's fucking enjoy this one. And the whole place yeah. goes nuts. And it's like, he gets what it means to be a leader on a, In addition to the Kelsey's, the Fletches, the Lane Johnson's, the guys that were there when they won the Super Bowl, who are still there, the Brandon Graham's right. They have these long-term leaders who've been on the team for a long time, who've seen different iterations of it, who've been in the league a long time, but they're letting this youthful, but incredibly mature quarterback who is now the unquestioned leader of this team take the reins. And it's just, it, it feels, it feels special. Now as a Philly guy, we're not allowed to have anything nice. Uh, Good things aren't supposed to happen to us. So, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes because uh, I'm not, you know, I just expect something bad to happen eventually, but for right now, it's really awesome. Like what getting into a third quarter of a game, like, man, it's, game's kind of boring like the Eagles are just kind of blowing them out like motherfuckers you know well th- that's the only thing is that Washington then sold out the only way you guys moved the ball in the second half was passing Miles Sanders had to say <clears throat> the stat line doesn't show what he did I thought he ran the ball extremely well for what was given um they stacked the box they knew what they were doing they said Jalen you're going to beat us deep and that's the thing right teams are going to do that to Jalen right now because he ran the ball so well last year and Washington did that and they paid the price. So the fact is now he's taking advantage of those deep passes. So in the second half, when you are running the ball out and they're loading up the box, play action for the Eagles is going to dominate yeah. going deep to these two receivers, the tight ends. Um, man, it's it's going to be a well, fun season to see. 
that's been part of it too. It's like, it's been three different teams, three weeks, three different teams, three completely different, different defensive approaches. Yeah. Uh, you know, Detroit giving up seven points and then eight points in the last two games. I know Detroit, they scored 35, but yeah, it's, it's been an impressive defensive battle. Detroit blitzed the shit out of Jalen and, and Philly in week one, which was the Tampa Bay method. Right. And then week two, they were playing this Minnesota was playing this soft, you know, too deep shell coverage uh, and left everything out over the middle, which is what everyone said Jalen couldn't do. And he attacked the middle of the field. He attacked that middle ground and then waited for his deep shots to open up. And then this week, Washington sold out for the run and they said, we're going to make you beat. You're going to, we're going to make you beat us from the pocket. And Jalen said, fine. So it's three different, completely different defensive philosophies to try to contain this offense. And none of them have worked so far. And there's Mm going to be bad, ugly games. They're going to lose some games. I totally get that. But so far it looks great. And uh, on the Washington side, Carson Wentz um, uh, just looks awful. Just absolutely awful. Um, Tough, tough day, tough day to be a Washington it, Commanders fan. I mean, at one point they said it was like the most anyone's been sacked in, I don't know, if years or whatever it was. It was like five or six sacks in the first half. And there was like literally 12 minutes left in the second quarter still. It was wild, dude. Yeah. It was wild to see that defense attack him. And they were having so much fun. You could tell they were just having so much fun, especially like uh, Fletcher Cox getting in there. And you could tell he was definitely just like, dude, I got you, bro. I know you like, you well, know, that's it was- what was so funny was like before the game, there was that clip of Fletch going over to Carson and they were all chatting up, you know, buddies yeah. talking about the game. And then the second end of my head, I'm like, yo, Fletch is about to destroy this yeah. man. I was like, he's, he's playing all nice. He's disarming Carson a little bit. Uh, tough day for Carson going up against your former team. Uh, the team that you know you won a Super Bowl with, and and the way that everything ended with that city, you know, just as a person, you, you like to think that he'd be have a better bounce back yeah. from that, but but he and did not. On the yeah, and on that side of the ball, Antonio Gibbs, they couldn't get the ball going on the ground really. Um, receiving, I mean, Terry McLaurin had made a couple of plays, but there there wasn't much at all. Um, this Eagles secondary did a great job, man. I mean, I, I know I think I might have told you this, but I was. I was at the last game I was watching um, on the Monday night game and uh, I was with the Calcateras and Grant's mom was just like, Darius Slay is my favorite player. Like that guy, he's my favorite defensive player. That guy just watching him live. She's like, that guy is so good. And like, it, it, she's a great football fan, been a Bengals fan her whole life. She's an, like one of the best football fans. I know I trust her opinion for sure. Dude. When she says she's like, that guy's great. Like, yes, it was just one of those, another person when you're like, I trust this person's football knowledge. And they are saying the same thing that I've been seeing out of this guy. And I know you say the same. He's going to, he's in, in line for a special season here. And the next couple years are going to be pretty good. I think for, uh, for the Eagles on that defensive side. I mean, and it, again, like the stats, I don't have them up in front of me, but there was a tweet I saw that that was going through um, Bradbury and, and Darius Slay's stats. And I think mm-hmm. like when targeted Bradbury, the QB rating is like 18. He's given up like three catches for like 18 yards and for slay he's given up two i think it's like three catches one touchdown he's had two interceptions and it's the same thing it's like a qb rating of like 17 and then you have avante maddox playing out of the nickel who is one of the best nickel corners it's just this team it's an embarrassment of riches honestly um and and you know sauce gardner's been or not sauce gardner um uh uh the guy they got from um uh new orleans has been phenomenal um chauncey gardner oh, I think his name uh, is. um yeah it's, it's 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 something gardner i think it's it's chauncey gardner maybe um he's been phenomenal cd deuce i know it's his nickname 
Uh, and then uh, Marcus Epps too, as, as the cornerback, as the other safety, you know, he's really filled in for a, a team that's had good safeties since, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, obviously beat Doc and then Malcolm Jenkins, uh, Rodney McLeod, you know, last, the last couple of years after Malcolm left and now to have a guy step into that role and be, be really good is, is, is fantastic. Um, all right. The last games here in the one o'clock window, uh, we can move through these ones a little bit quicker. Uh, Ravens Patriots, Lamar Jackson is really good at football. Um, he got five touchdowns, total touchdowns on the day, added another running one, four passing touchdowns. Uh, what's interesting. This game was pretty back and forth for a while, um, until the third quarter. And then Lamar, at the end of the third quarter, the, you know, the Ravens had a couple of really big key, uh, turnovers. They had Kyle Hamilton had his first big play in the yeah, NFL that punch out. That was amazing, man. Yeah. Peanut punched the shit out of that. He's so good. Um, yeah. love Kyle Hamilton. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just crazy what Lamar's doing right now with the lack of, you know, big time weapons around him. Uh, great to yeah, see JK Dobbins back on the field too, but yeah, the Ravens are for real, man. The Ravens are no, for real. Uh, totally. He's making star. I mean, obviously Mark Andrews is already there, but Bateman and Duvernay, I mean, he's putting the ball right where it needs to be and they're making some incredible plays Duvernay on the last touchdown, but yeah, great seeing Dobbins back out there. Couldn't really get him going too much in the running game, but it didn't matter because you had Lamar rushing for over 100 again. And, you know, they, they just went out and pretty much, I don't, I don't even know how to say, like, out-patriot the Patriots because they didn't. They played a totally different style. This is the classic Baltimore defense, though, that was swarming going off. Um, they gave up yards, but they turned the ball over, right? Yeah. That's the key. Um, they had four turnovers. They, you know, they were net positive, too on the turnover differential. They had Mac Jones throw three picks. Mac Jones had a tough day. Um, he wasn't terribly inefficient. He just had a tough day. This defense played well. Uh, well, and there's and just no, there's to. no weapons on that offense in new England. I mean, right? I mean, Devontae I don't know Parker finally showed up. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that was and it. Mac Jones, I really think weirdly enough is, uh, has elevated the talent that's there. I mean, Nelson Aguilar and, and um, Devontae Parker, but there's just not a whole lot there. They're kind of going back and forth between this, like, you know, this, this ground and pound running game with Ramondre Stevenson and um, Damian Harris. And then they're doing these, these kind of deep drop backs and these five-step drops with Mac Jones. Um, they're asking him to do a lot. And, you know, he, he got injured high ankle sprain there at the end. I think he's going to end up missing at least a, at least a month, man. High ankle sprains are, are the worst guy. We saw two of those yesterday, one on Mac Jones and one on um, Trent. Well, was it Trent Williams? The, the offensive yeah. lineman there for San Francisco. So, high ankle sprains are like at least a month in the NBA. Like LeBron missed, I think like a month and a half. Yeah. Um, not last season, but the season before with a high ankle sprain. So um, yeah, the Patriots are just a really kind of just boring team, honestly. And it's a shame, uh, but I think it uh, kind of goes back to what they said before, but that being said, them being as boring as they are. And the fact that they were able to move the ball as well as they did through the first, you know, three quarters of this game, the only concern I have for the Ravens is the defense because yeah, I mean, they were on the net positive side of turnovers and yeah, they have guys who are making plays, but turnover luck is a thing in the NFL, you know, like yeah. ultimate, ultimately the, the turnovers aren't a reliable stat to say like, Hey, you know, they, this team always gets this many turnovers. Right. Um, it, so much of that can come down to, to luck to bounce a certain ways or another. Now the turnovers they had yesterday, like, one of the interceptions was, you know, towards the end of the game, Mac Jones kind of throwing it up and trying to make something happen was a bad decision. But other than that, you know, Baltimore, like the Kyle Hamilton play, like that's just a hell of a football play. 
So they have guys who will make those plays. I am a little worried about the Ravens defense. Uh, we saw obviously Tua and Miami exploit them, but um, the offense is going to be a fucking problem. That, that's the one thing is I think we know about Baltimore. The offense is going to be a, a, a real problem moving forward. Uh, and Lamar, Lamar, looks Lamar looks phenomenal. He's playing for that contract. And, and I look, if, if you're Baltimore, you're stupid to not give it to you're him. Lo- yeah. Baltimore's actively losing money. Let's just call it how it is. They are actively losing money. Every time he steps out in the field and proves that he's still an MVP candidate. Yeah. And it's not like you're the Bengals who had to sell the naming rights to your stadium for the first time in order to try to get ready to pay your quarterback. Like you're the Ravens, yeah. like you're a big time name. You're a big time organization. You make plenty of money, pay fucking Lamar. It's crazy that they wouldn't just do that. Um, and I get it. Guaranteed money versus not guaranteed. That's basically what it all and comes I also, down to. But I think it's, uh, I've been thinking about this recently. So he's negotiating his own contract, right? Yeah. And so what's kind of weird, right? They're putting the GM in a tough spot where usually you can have some pretty tough conversations with agents and everybody and not with the player. But now they're going to have to be like, if they want to say, well, we don't value you as an MVP candidate because you brought in your exposure. Yeah, Yeah, they have to say to his face. And and if they do that, like they don't want to damage that relationship because he's their future. So I think it's a really, it's like a power play by him where like, man, not only are you your own agent and you're going out there improving it. I mean, I, I, he's not a very vocal guy, right? Lamar, he's not a rah-rah guy. He's not going to pull a Kirk Cousins, but I hope he has a you like that moment for his contract. But like Kirk like, Cousins wasn't either. Like Kirk Cousins was just brilliant in the way that he handled all of it. You know, I was like, all right, you want to? No, I, I just mean like when he actually went over and screamed, "You like that?" To the guy, I don't yeah, think yeah, see yeah, yeah, Lamar, yeah. but I hope he has a moment where he scores a touchdown, and just like looks up at the box or something like that. Yeah. God, that'd be great. Oh, excuse me, yawn. Um, all right, uh, Cincinnati and the Jets. The Bengals finally get back to their uh, their their usual winning ways. Um, at least from what we've seen here, big time performance from Joe Burrow. Um, you know, this is, this is the stuff with Burrow that like, I, and I know, you know, Scotty and I, we like to have fun with the, the Burrow and Herbert debate and everything, but you know, this past week when everyone was talking about the, you know, the sky's falling um, in regards to this Bengals team, his ability in that press conference to just be like, Hey, like we're good. You know, like everyone, everyone just take a deep breath. We're going to be fine. All right. Um, you know, the thing I was bringing up last week about the, uh, you know, the offensive line, like, yeah, the offensive line gave up 13 sacks in two games. You think, holy shit, this is awful. Right. They also went up against TJ Watt and Micah Parsons, right. The arguably the two best pass rushers in football week one and week two, they gave up two sacks yesterday against a good, a good defensive line and like a really yeah. solid defense in the New York jets, uh, at least from so far from what we've seen and a really good defensive coordinator or defensive mind in Robert Salah, who, you know, as a head coach there has gotten that defense to play really well. And this game felt out of touch from the beginning. You know, obviously the, the Tyler Boyd touchdown, the 50, was it 53 yards or whatever it was, he breaks the tackle and takes it all the way, but that's a really, you know, it's a, it's a really good sign. And it's that mentality of the quarterback to never get too high, never get too low. We're going to be fine. We're going to get up. We're going to do our work. We're going to come in. We're going to get a big win. And now they have an opportunity on Thursday night to play Miami who is undefeated, which is, I mean, this is going to be a fantastic Thursday night football game, but I, this is the shit I love about Joe Burrow. It never bothers him. He's going to step up. He's going to do his job and he's going to keep his team in the game at all times. You know, it goes back to last week, right. Or in week one and week two, where it's like, holy shit, Cincinnati has has the ball and they have a chance to go down and win this football game (laughs) after how, after giving up seven sacks or giving up six sacks. Right. And then they get, they had a chance 
it's the same thing with Tom. Like, this is why I make that comparison personality wise, but it's the same thing with Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady in that game against green Bay this week, right? Tampa Bay plays terrible the whole game. And yet we're sitting there watching a two point conversion to potentially send that game to overtime because yeah. the best guys just find ways to keep their teams in it. And may not always look pretty, um, but they have complete control and confidence in themselves. Uh, and that elevates everyone around them. And I think we saw that out of Cincinnati this week. Uh, and, and this is again, without really having a monster statistical day, considering the amount of talent that they have there in that Cincinnati room. I don't have much to add. This was on, this was in red zone purgatory a little bit. This was yeah. one that they, they didn't really show much of. The only thing I will say is, you know, we got that they're the early game next week. They got to turn around and play the dolphins on Thursday. Those are very two different outcomes. The dolphin, again, we talked about that game and what happened in Miami, the Bengals kind of getting back on track. I think this is going to shape up. We'll get a real test of where the Bengals are against that Dolphins team. Yeah, that's going to be a fun game. And how does Miami come back after an exhausting, intense game like that against Buffalo? Uh, and now you got to go up to Cincinnati, play a Bengals team uh, that seems to have a little bit of its mojo back. I've, right now, just a little bit early, I would lean Cincinnati in that game, but I'm excited for Thursday night. Uh, all right, uh, New Orleans and Carolina to wrap up the 1 o'clock window. Uh, the Panthers get their first win of the year. Their defense looked fantastic. Um, panic meter on your boy, Jameis right now. Where are we at? Oh shit. Um, I mean, 353 yards isn't bad. It just, it, it keeps happening. The yardage is never the problem with Jameis. Uh, no, you know. no, it's, I, I, that's why I'm trying to distract you with it. Uh, I mean, listen, it's the picks, it's the decision-making it's the, you know, third downs, what he's doing. I don't know. I mean, I, I, the nice thing is it's not like you can say Baker outdueled them, right? Just totally mm-hmm. two different styles of play. Uh, you know, the good thing for the Panthers is they actually got running the ball. McCaffrey had over 25 touches and a hundred yards. And it, like, it was good to see him get going a little bit. Finally. Yeah. Um, I thought that, again, that, that defense for new Orleans played well, but just not good enough. Jameis to loop back to your actual question, uh, man, I, I just don't want to say it, but like, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta get ready. Um, the backup is Andy Dalton who has experience who, you know, they might need to do that. Uh, but you know, he said we all have to play better. Um, you know, he's first. I, I really do believe that he's definitely uh, on the, on not the chopping block. Like he's not going to cut. I, I just mean that I, he, everyone's concerned if they're fans right now, he won one close game against the Falcons he, upcoming. He's got the Vikings. A winnable game against the Seahawks, the Bengals, and then um, with the Saints. And then he's got a, a Thursday game, I believe, or then a, a longer break on a Thursday. So it's going to be a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, a tough sled here upcoming for him. But there are some winnable games, and he has to, he's got to go off against some of these defenses. And if he doesn't, and we get later in the year, they may be a team that ends up trying to throw in Andy Dalton or keep Jamison and try and tank and get, get in blind for a quarterback. Cause this the, Chris Olave looks legit and yeah, a lot of the defense had a huge is playing day. pretty well. So I don't know. I, I do think that we're now at the point where this team is like, man, this is, it's not making or break it this season. It's like, you got to start showing some improvement here. Cause if you're the same as you were four years ago, we're, we're out. I, um, I honestly, I feel like they're going to rock with Jameis as long as he continues to stay healthy. Um, Cause look, he gives you the best chance at winning 
like even even with the 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 craziness that is Jameis and the roller coaster ride that is Jameis, he still gives you the best chance at winning. Um, and I I'm not sold on the idea that this Saints team, and it's interesting too, right? Because this Saints team was was projected going into the season to be like a dark horse playoff team, right? Could they win the NFC South? There was a lot oh, yeah. of that momentum. I didn't fully buy into it only simply because of Jameis, like everything else is there, but Kamara finally sees the field yesterday and he calls up a fumble that gets returned back for a touchdown. You know, that lost them that, that essentially iced the game for them. Um, Carolina only had one other touchdown and it was the LaVisca Chenault, like 70 yard, you know, screen crazy, huge run. Yeah. And you take out that one pass and Baker has 103 yards passing. Um, it's great to see McCaffrey getting more involved. I don't know why they're not using him more in the passing game. Um, he had four targets. He only ended up with two catches, but you know, McCaffrey needs, needs to be a bigger part of this offense. And it seems like now the, uh, whatever the, the snap count and some of the, like, Hey, let's protect McCaffrey has, has started to fall off a little bit. Um, but I'll just tell you what, man, like, I just, I don't think the saints team is very good. I, I, the defense, and I think the Tampa Bay game is a bit of an aberration because we're so used to that. That series is always really, really close. But without the guys that Tampa Bay had in week two, Tampa Bay is not a very good offense. And with the offensive line in, in as much shatters as Tampa Bay's is, and we'll get into the to the Bucks in a little bit, but overall, I just don't think the Saints are a very good team. And I think Jameis still gives you the best chance to win because he's going to throw it all over the fucking field. Michael Thomas looks fine, you know, yeah. which is which is honestly better than I thought he would look um, to, to his credit. Alave looks great, but, you know, Jarvis Landry had a big week one and now he's not really doing much. I think the Saints team is 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 pretty mediocre. I think I think seven wins. Right. Is probably right in that kind of wheelhouse for them. I think I think we're going to see a more seven to nine win teams in the NFL this year than we've ever seen. And I think. The Panthers are a team they should have beat. Like this is this is a win for the Panthers and a bigger loss for the Saints in terms of like you had to win this one to get there to where we were talking about you being a dark horse team that you're saying that this is a game that everyone looked at the schedule and said you had to win this one and if you didn't, um, you know it, it, we're starting to reevaluate these teams after this week three right and they're trending downwards of their preseason projection for sure. Yeah, well, it's interesting too <clears throat> that the Saints have been really good in the fourth quarter. And each of these games, because that's when they're in fuck it mode, and that's kind of unleashing James. That's Jameis mode, yeah. But you can't, but you can't do that for four quarters, or else he's going to throw four interceptions. So, but honestly, you know, at this point, you might want to. I mean, they're all their fourteen points were all in the fourth. May, I mean, it it's was, still it's still early in the year, but maybe you start to do a little bit more of that. Maybe you start to let Jameis kind of let Jameis cook a little bit. Get yes. Him, get, Get him in the kitchen with some crab legs and see what he can see what he can chef up. Uh, I will say I do think Carolina is is a really good defensive team. Uh, I don't think that's an aberration. I think I think they're just a good defensive team. I think the offense is going to have problems. Which if you if you can run the ball and play good defense, you're going to be frisky. Like you're you're going to win games that you probably shouldn't win. Um, and it's just a matter of can Baker get a little bit more comfortable with the offense? Maybe get McCaffrey going a little bit more. Uh, maybe get DJ Moore going a little bit more. I mean, Baker hasn't looked good, but I don't know. I also, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Baker's the number one problem with this Panthers team either. Um, I think the offensive oh, line's banged up. I, I think, I know DJ Moore has put up a bunch of empty stats, but like DJ Moore over his career is, is essentially just Brandon Cooks. 
Like Brandon yeah. Cooks has like five a great fantasy player, right? Really right. great, consistent fantasy player. Brandon Cooks has had five straight seasons with over a thousand yards. Is Brandon Cooks a game changer? And I think we look at DJ more, or we want to look at DJ more, more like a true wide receiver one. But in reality, I think he's much more of a Brandon Cooks than he is I would agree with a true wide receiver one. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's the one o'clock games. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do that, quick word from our friends at Alliance Accounting. Football is finally back. And while you spend your week researching for your fantasy team, assembling your feast for tailgates, and watching four straight days of football, you can binge watch football every week with the assurance that Alliance Accounting will have your back when it comes to all your tax needs. Prep your waiver wire ads while Alliance preps your personal tax forms. Check the grill at your tailgate while Alliance checks for all the available tax deductions and credits to score your maximal possible refund. Review and submit your fantasy lineups while Alliance accurately and thoroughly reviews your tax return and files it for you. Record all the great football and memories you can while Alliance records your business and personal finances with their trusted bookkeeping services. The team at Alliance Accounting is here for you so that you can be here for your team. Don't wait. Contact Alliance today before the October filing extension deadline on October 17th. That's week six, folks. We're more than halfway to week six. It's crazy. And visit Alliance Accounting today online at allianceaccounting.com. That's allianceaccounting.com or check out their Instagram page at alliance underscore accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. All right, quick break. We'll be right back to wrap up the four o'clock, the late windows, the uh, Sunday night football as well. And uh, maybe a little bit of college uh, talk as we get you on the way to the rest of your week. Four o'clock window did not give us quite the level of excitement that some of the games in the one o'clock did, but we did learn some things about some teams. First and foremost, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, who are not here to fuck around. And I'll tell you what, as the Eagles prep to play them, host Dougie P back in Philadelphia this week, uh, I'm more concerned about this game than I thought I would be. Um, I, I can't tell you how much it makes me happy to see the success of this Jacksonville team so far, to see Trevor Lawrence look good. Uh, and then on the same side, the Chargers are just a cursed franchise nowadays, man. Um, they lose Rashawn Slater for the year, which came out today, torn bicep. Oh, God, no. Is Rashawn, that really it? Rashawn Slater's out for the year. Uh, Joey Bosa has a significant groin injury that will keep him out multiple weeks. Uh, and on top of that, too, no Keenan Allen for the second straight week. And, of course, the most important one, Justin Herbert, playing through uh, – fucked up ribs is the best way I can describe it without getting too into the weeds uh, and, and yet still putting everything out on the line. Um, Jacksonville, I want to start with them and then we'll hit the Chargers, but the Jags I think are just good. Like I think they're just a pretty good team. The defense is legit. They have a really good pass walk uh, rush. People, you know, shit on the Trayvon Walker pick number one overall because, you know, it seemed boring. Everyone thought Aiden Hutchinson was the safe bet. Trayvon Walker was arguably the most dynamic player on that Georgia team last year. All the attention went to Jordan Davis and to Kobe Dean because they were the ones making a ton of plays. And obviously Jordan Davis at his size, what he can do is terrifying. But in just terms of upside NFL potential plus production in college, Trayvon Walker made a lot of sense and has been really good for them. Josh Allen tied for second in the league uh, in sacks through three games. He's been all over the field. Uh, this Jaguars team has a competent head coach. 
uh, a young quarterback who has finally shown, you know, the world that like, Hey, I'm, I'm not just some, you know, I wasn't just some bust. Like you don't, don't make me, don't pay me out to be a bust here. I ain't, you know, no offense to my guy, Ryan leaf, but like, you know, like, don't, don't paint me as one of those guys. You know, Trevor Lawrence is a freaking stud, man. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence says, listen, this offense with Doug Peterson, this is what I know me and you expected talking about this in preseason. This is going to be an absolute team that takes a step up three touchdowns, no picks. He was efficient with the ball. He got, he spread it around. He went to who was open. Zay Jones was the leading receiver this game, but him, Christian Kirk and Marvin Jones all caught touchdowns. He's spreading the ball around. You know, he's getting to the point where he's hitting like seven or eight receivers a game. Um, you know, on ETN the running looks side. awesome, dude. ETN looks explosive. And well, ETN like, looks good. James Robinson still looks amazing. James well, Robinson, yeah, had that one blow up like run. I mean, listen, this team overall, if they have a good offensive line, which was the question we all had, like, are they actually gonna be that much better? <clears throat> it seems like that offensive line and that defense, to your point, Trayvon Walker, dude, hit you watch there were a couple plays last week, and then it happened again this week where he's rushing from like a defensive tackle spot and third down maybe. And he's going up against a guard and the guard has a lot of size on him. And he just pushes him right back into the quarterback, gets his hand up and knocks the ball down. So it doesn't go in a sack, right? doesn't there. They do track bat downs now, but it's not something you're going to see if you're like flying by, but that absolutely destroys third downs, right? That's, that's just as good as a, a secondary player knocking down the ball. I mean, he absolutely crushed some of the rushes that he had and he's played well against the run. That dude converts speed to power. I'm just, I'm so impressed to your point of how, what he's put on tape to this point, three games into his young career on a team that had the number one overall pick. Like yeah. this two and one Jaguars team is good and had the number one overall pick the last two years and has their leader on offense and their leader on defense. And they found a Super Bowl winning head coach. I, I just don't see this team. I mean, they're my favorite to win the division now. I don't know if like the Colts are great. Yes. But this team, man, I love, I love Doug Peterson. Um, you know, they have a good, they have some giant tests coming up, obviously the Eagles, but what Trevor Lawrence has shown his decisiveness to get from one read to the next, he, when he rolled out, even he had that bat, he had a deep throw to the back of the end zone, not deep, probably like 25 yards, but it's to the back of the end zone on a rope in between three defenders. Yeah. It looked like the actual progression of Trevor Lawrence from college to what we should see him do in the NFL. Like we saw that this Sunday and it was got, it was so amazing to see. Finally, it was his, it was his coming out party. It was the first Mm -hmm. time we got a chance to see Trevor Lawrence look like the Trevor Lawrence. We saw at Clemson for all those years. Um, Devin Lloyd, the first round draft pick out of Utah has been an absolute stud. I mean, and I talked about him at length on this pod, how much I loved him coming out of Utah. He's been flying around making plays all over the place. Uh, In addition to being like, their number one linebacker wearing the green dot, you know, like just, he's been awesome for them. Um, I, I will say they're going to have a tough test against the Eagles next week. And we saw against Washington that, you know, they're susceptible to some big plays. They're still young on the defensive side of the ball, but if they can at least show some fight, you know, cause I, I do expect the Eagles to be favored and I do expect the Eagles to win that game. The offensive line's way better than we thought it was. Um, you know, Cam Robinson, there was a lot of talk about like, Hey, like, why did you, why did you franchise tag Cam Robinson of all people who's been objectively disappointing as, as a pro at left tackle, he's played really well going out and spending the money on, on Brandon Scherf, who is, is a multi-time pro bowler, a really, really solid, smart offensive lineman. Uh, Juwan Taylor's played really, really well for them at right tackle. So 
they've invested in the offensive line. They've given him time, but they've also made life easy for Trevor Lawrence. It's been easy checkdowns. It's been, it's an adult in the room, which he didn't have. And James Robinson setting the in between the tackles, which this running back room reminds me, it's very Doug Peterson esque, right? It's like, Hey, get a guy like James Robinson who can specialize in between the tackles, but can also catch the ball out of the backfield and then get a guy like Travis Etienne who can catch the ball out of the backfield, but can also, you know, run in between the the tackles too. Like he can do a little bit of everything. And, and that way you don't really know what's coming and you're getting fresh legs on the field. The Christian Kirk signing, I know that they overpaid for what market value is, but if he ends up continuing this pace, that's a really, really valuable wide receiver contract considering what some of the other top guys are getting paid and through three weeks christian kirk's been one of the best wide receivers in football so far statistically zay Mm -hmm. jones had a nice little comeback with the raiders over the last couple of years and now he's looking good and then obviously they paid marvin jones jr a couple years ago who's just been a really solid pro for a number of years now in the nfl so the offense is really solid i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put them in that like because i i do agree i think they're the favorites in the afc south but I also think that's because the AFC South looks bad. Like, yeah, the Colts beat Kansas City on Sunday. I still don't think the Colts are a particularly good team. And, and I think that, again, because I do believe that was a must-win game for them, I think they came out with an extra level of energy that they hadn't had before, uh, at least not in the first two weeks. So I think the Colts, 500 team. Do I think the, the, the Jags can get up to 10 wins? I think that's completely realistic. Um, but – they're just they're good they're young and they have a, an adult in the room um and it also i think just makes what trevor lawrence did last year that much more impressive uh the other side of this game obviously the chargers just snake bit with injuries already they seem to be mm. the the snake bit team um mike williams continuing to do what he does which is make an unbelievable touchdown catch highlight real play and then proceed to do nothing else the entire rest of the game uh and justin herbert is in a tough spot. You know, I, I love Austin Eckler as, as a compliment back, as a guy that's in there, even if he's your best running back, I like Austin Eckler, but this is why I was down on him on fantasy, right? Like, it's just, I, I don't think he's that guy you can rely on every single play. I think you can use him in a bunch of different ways. I think he's a very valuable offensive weapon, but he's not that three down running back kind of guy. Uh, and I just, the chargers are in some trouble, man. And part of that's the injuries. Right. Obviously, no Bosa moving forward, no uh, Rashawn Slater for the rest of the year, which is really going to hurt them. Um, but that whatever version of the charges we saw that was beating the Chiefs going into the fourth quarter is not the version of the charges I think we're going to see for the rest of the season. And I think similar to what we did with the NFC, the NFC West last year, we did with the AFC West this year, which is in the offseason. We said, oh, who's going to stop any of these teams? You have Kyler and Russ and this Rams team and the Niners. And then it turns out like two of them were good. The Seahawks sucked and injuries hurt the Seahawks. And then Arizona was good and then completely fell off in the back half. And I think we went into this season expecting the AFC West to be unbelievable and completely removed the realistic aspect of like, yeah, well, you know what? There's a lot of factors that go into an NFL season. One of those four teams was going to get snake bit by injury. They were going to start beating each other out. And on top of it, one of them's just not going to be as good as we thought. And the way it stands right now, all four teams in the AFC West lost on Sunday and they were all the AFC West or AFC South except, teams or except, sorry, except for Denver, Denver won. That's right. That's right. But as we'll get to in a little bit, I don't think there's a whole lot to feel great about with that Denver team, even despite the fact <laughs> that they're, they're two and one. Um, 
So it was, I don't know. It AFC was West emotionally confusing night. Yes. Uh, so, but no, I, I agree that the South, I mean, Tennessee's still like, they can put it together. Like you said, Frable's been there for a while. I do like the Colts, you know, they're going to put it together. If they can establish the run and get that going again and play, perform better on that side of the ball, they'll be okay. Yeah. Um, Rams Cardinals. Uh, this has become a little bit of a trend now with the Rams through three weeks. Uh, well, obviously week one, they just kind of got smoked, but um, getting up early and kind of falling apart late and relying on the defense to make some clutch spot uh, stops there. I will say holding the, the Cardinals to the field goal there in the fourth quarter, I had the Rams in a parlay at minus six and a half. So if the Cardinals had scored a touchdown there, that would have been a really, really shitty uh, with one minute left would have been a really bad backdoor cover uh, for me. So thank you to the Rams for holding them to the field goal and, and forcing the Cardinals to kick it on sides. But um, look, there's flashes where this Rams team looks good. But I, I think they're just – I think they're fighting through it, right? Every single year in the NFL, even if you just won the Super Bowl six months ago, it's a new team. It's a new season. Everything's different. And it's so easy because it's so quick in our memory to be like, what? This, we just watched this team in the Super Bowl. They still should be amazing. It's like, look, like there's still going to be some growing pains. There's still going to be some season-long developments. And I think considering that they are the defending champs, the Rams are in a pretty decent spot, right? They come away with a couple of close wins. The blow, you know, blowing the lead against Atlanta last week was was bad, but holding on to this win against a divisional opponent um, and a guy like Kyler who's just out there playing backyard football. Uh, what the Cardinals are doing is not sustainable, and uh, and uh, and I think the Cardinals are in for a rough year. But the Rams, I think they're in a pretty decent spot. I just think it's going to take a little bit of adjusting. Um, I mean, this game, they were they were an inch away from being up 15 points and this being a completely different conversation. Um, and Cam Akers fumbles the ball on the one yard line, uh, which that poor kid, man, he finally started to break out and look good in the second half. They finally started giving him some touches and then another costly fumble. I know at fantasy owners in particular, like why the hell don't they play Cam Akers? This has become a thing with him, man, where he yeah. just, he coughs up the ball and really miss inopportune times despite being as talented as I think we all think that he is. So uh, big win by the Rams. Cardinals are definitely in some trouble. That's my basic takeaway from this game. I have a very similar takeaway. It's not much to write home about this game. This is a divisional matchup. It was tight. A uh, little drama late, but not much. I didn't learn anything about either of these teams. I'm still waiting for the Rams to really get going on offense, like you talked about. I do have one question. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray threw the ball 58 times, right? I mean, I don't think anyone wants him to do that. He's not going to have the same type of stat line Josh Allen does, or e- even if he has a similar one, it's in a very different way that he goes about that. Um, the Rams had three, eight, three third downs. They got three out of eight third downs. So I'm trying to say, sorry. The, the Cardinals had 18 third downs. They got six of them. They were four or five on fourth down. Basically, when you look down the stat line, like, man, they just kept going for it and all that stuff. And why I had to go back to stats again, this was in red zone purgatory because of the fact that not much was happening here. Um, If you had to choose a team with the quarterbacks flipped, so you can have the Cardinals with Stafford or you can have the Rams with Kyler, which team would you take for the rest of the season? Can we limit it just to offenses because the Rams defense is significantly better than that's the Cardinals. fair. Let's just go offense. 
Oh, God. Uh, I would probably go with the Rams with Kyler. Um, I, I wouldn't like that because I think I'm, I'm not a, a Kyler fan, but I think everything that that's around uh, Cooper cup, obviously being the primary reason. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever D hop comes back, we'll see if he, you know, is able to kind of bounce back to, to his previous form that kind of tailed off last year. Um, I just think they have more around them. I think the offensive lines are pretty comparable. Uh, and then there's just more weapons in LA than there are in Arizona. So I, I don't love, I mean, Kyler and Kyler's a great playmaker. So, and I would think with McVeigh, they would find ways to use him a little bit differently than Kingsbury, but um, yeah, I would probably take Kyler with the Rams. Because I found myself at some points being <laughs> like, man, if they only ask Kyler to throw the ball 25 times and do what they asked Safford to do in this game, I think he could be a successful quarterback. It would be a very different style than we've seen. But I really believe that his best plays have obviously come his runs left and right and two-point conversion and, and extending plays. But I don't think doing that 58 times a game is a good idea. And I think that I'm, I'm with you, obviously, along the way, because I think Kyler on a lot of other teams would be better. And I'm wondering if now the Cardinals are collapsing in terms of they got this head coach, the first overall pick, they get him. He has a lightning rookie year, sophomore year, you know, has some injury problems. But where is this team going? It felt like they were already old. They, they got older free agents, right? They let younger players go. Now, they had some good draft picks on the defensive side, but that defensive line is not doing much. And J.J. Watt being like your exciting defensive end, that's yeah. going to fade soon. I just feel like this team is, is set up to fall even worse, and we could see them back towards the top of the draft sooner than later. I mean, I, I think there's, there's merit to the question as to, like, would, would Kyler be better set up on a different team? Right. Um, with maybe a different head coach. And I think that's probably that's why you'll you'll bet on the talent that, that Kyler has uh, moving forward when they inevitably move on from from Cliff Kingsbury. And if you're asking which one of those two guys would you rather have Kingsbury as your head coach or Kyler as your quarterback, the NFL team is going to pick the talent 10 times out of 10. But I will also say that I'm not a, a particularly big fan of Kyler. And that's no secret on this pod. I've been out on Kyler for a while. Um, I think there's uh, unbelievable moments with Kyler, but I, the limitations with him, I think are there. Um, and yeah, maybe if you did ask him to throw the ball 25 to 30 times, as opposed to 40 to 50, you'd have better results. But then I also think you're taking the ball out of the hand. Like Stafford can't do the stuff that Kyler can do with his legs, you know, Stafford. They, and on top of that too, McVay has always valued the running game in a way that Cliff Kingsbury hasn't. So Maybe you put him in a different situation. Maybe it looks a little bit more like, you know, what Philly's doing or, or you know, yeah. Baltimore to a certain degree. But um, I, I think a lot of it's a Kyler problem, you know, I, and, and I don't think Kingsbury necessarily hurts it. But what I do know is that in NFL circles, high ranking NFL circles, Kingsbury is still held in incredibly high regard. And on a national media perspective, Kingsbury is looked at like an idiot and, Typically when that happens, I lean towards the, the way that someone's viewed in NFL circles <laughs> yeah, rather the, than the, professionals. the way that, yeah, the people who, who understand football uh, in a way that us mere mortals don't understand. Uh, but that's a, that's a really, it gets a really good question. Vito. It's a great question. Cause Stafford could elevate that team. Stafford, I mean, like Stafford with Calvin Johnson was elite Stafford with, uh, yeah, you uh, give with him Hollywood would be and, incredible. And, yeah, give him D hop and, and some of the things around them. But if he's but if Stafford's throwing it 50 to 60 times a game too, 
you know, what is, what does that look like? Right. He, he, yeah, is he, he came just to back the Rams in Detroit? to not do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> He's just back in Detroit again. Um, all right. Falcons, Seahawks don't really have to spend any time on this. I think we, we both said this and uh, we'll off air, but we just both love Mariota. I don't know if it's yeah. an Oregon thing. I just loved him that year at Oregon. So I'm always going to root for Mariota. Uh, but both these teams going in, in very similar situations. Weird thing with the drone in that game. That was kind of yeah. one interesting note there. Just a drone popping up in the middle of that game was was weird. Um, uh, very strange. They had to stop the game and and delay it basically to make sure it was out of the space. And man, it's it's uh, it's crazy. We're gonna we're gonna see some weird stuff with drones in our in our uh, time here because eventually, like you can see small drones being on the field taking you know videoing, following play. It's gonna be crazy. 100 big, big drone guy over here so <laughs> big uh, we'll drone guy. yeah you and james big drone guys um all right uh last up here in the four o'clock window green bay and tampa um i'm not gonna put the 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 worry stamp on either of these teams i, I mean i look i think green bay's defense after the way they kind of slowly especially after week one against minnesota and just justin jefferson going for a million yards um i think green bay's defense has become far more legit than than we thought uh, after week one, which is why, you know, we always say like, don't judge too much on week one. Um, but I also think Tampa Bay's offense, it's hard to expect them to be any better. Like that's kind of why I'm, I'm not going to push the panic button on Tampa Bay either, because how much more can we expect out of, uh, out of a team that has, you know, two, I think one starting offensive lineman from last year's team. Uh, now granted one of those other starting offensive linemen, Shaq Mason, who's a really, really good offensive guard. So the right side of the line is at least decent. Um, but they have one running back that they trust. They, for the last few years with Tom Brady there, they've had multiple running backs that they trust. Uh, there's no Chris Godwin, uh, no Mike Evans in this game, no Julio Jones in this game. You have a banged up Russell Gage and Cole Beasley, who they signed literally on like Tuesday of last week and was on elevated from the practice squad the day of, uh, and and just there's no one else. I mean, Brashad Perriman's making big plays for them. I, I mean, Cameron Brick, Kyle Rudolph finally that was saw a cool the field. One. It yeah. was like, who's gonna play, right? The conversation, who's gonna be who is Tom Brady gonna throw to? And it was like, well, Russell Gage is a pretty athletic player from you know, he had a good time in Atlanta. Cameron Brady's been there for a while. And then all of a sudden when you see Cole Beasley and, and Kyle Rudolph's name. I'm like, oh shit, they have those guys. Like, right. Yeah. If you've been around and watched football in the last, you know five, 10 years, you kind of know who these two guys are. Cole Beasley had a great time with the Bills. I mean, he feels like what Tom did with Wes Wilker and the slot receiver and all that. Cole Beasley yeah. had that style. It was great because he said uh, Tom Brady's interview was like, man, it felt like I've been throwing this guy for 15 years. Like, yeah, because you have. You had this same guy doing the same thing. His name was Damian Andola and Wes Welker. And, and you have Edelman. another one. Now, and Julian Edelman. And you got another one now. And guess what? I think that's going to be great for him for this season. But yeah, he... um this this whole skill players and, and who he's going to go to they were there the fumbles it's in my mind they, they fumbled the ball you you can't do that uh if you're going to try and win as you're driving because tom brady didn't throw picks you know he did a decent decent job containing the ball um at the end obviously there's frustration on his part and everyone um man i just couldn't believe though at the end of the game you're just sitting there like i can't believe this is close enough the bucks defense kept a minute and of course tom brady drove down and scored but they couldn't get the two the, the delay a game to me, like yeah. the fact that you had a two point conversion and you just, you made it literally more than three times as difficult statistically by moving back. What, like as Tom Brady, it was the first time that he seemed like he made a poor decision. Like, cause he needs to be the guy who has that up and ready to go. 
Yeah. He had the play in time. So for me, like that was on him and it was very close. So maybe he's gotten away with those mostly and he was at home, but I just, I don't know what was up. That was to me the strangest part of this. And I think it kind of fell through because, Hey, they should have lost anyway, but man, uh, I, I Tom think that was didn't the big, look like Tom. It was the big, it was the big, you know, question mark that came out of that game for sure. Yeah. Was, was how, how does that happen? Um, apparently, cause on the, on the last play of the game, it was also borderline delay of game and they just get the snap off in time and they score the touchdown and Aaron Rodgers reportedly, or at least, you know, allegedly went, went to the officials and said something. And then next thing you know, they're getting ready for the two point conversion. The flag came out. Now I will say it was significantly closer um, on the final play of the game than it was on the two point conversion. They were a full second behind on the two point conversion. Yeah. Whereas it was pretty bang bang for the uh, for, for the the final play of the game, the touchdown pass there. But yeah, man, I mean, it, it was weird. It was a weird game. But again, this goes back to the the Tom Brady greatness. Despite everything, he still found a way to get them down the field and and scoring a touchdown, have a two point conversion, and the execution there at the end wasn't great. Uh, a little sloppy, and that's the stuff that you know for all the times that people want to say, oh. Brady carried Belichick or whatever people want to say, like that shit doesn't happen in new England, man. And when Bruce Arians is running the team, that shit happened a little bit and they were able to overcome it, but that shit still happened. And the same thing happened, um, you know, now with Todd Bowles as the head coach too. So uh, it'll be interesting to see moving forward. Again, I'm not overly worried about either of these teams. I think once the, cause that game against Dallas week one, we think we all know Dallas is a good team, but they still move the ball really well. And Dallas just, you know, tightened up in there in the red zone right because what they scored seven and then i think they gave up they had seven and then uh they ended with 19 so all in all they gave, had four field goals still so they got the ball to the red zone or at least into deep into dallas territory four different times in that game i think the offense will will get better as the season goes on as someone who has tom brady on my fantasy team for the first time ever uh it's been a massive disappointment um yeah not the year not the year for that but uh and and i think at some point it's crazy to think but i still feel like gronk's gonna come back at some point i do too i think it'll be playoff push um yeah. which would but, just be hilarious like how right. many times can gronk fool us with this fake retirement thing this will now be the third time if gronk comes back i would love to see it i think that they're i hope they use julio jones in that role i know we talked about that but i i don't know i mean this this game more to see from both these quarterbacks they're both at the point in their career. This is when Peyton was at the end of his career with Denver. It was more of like, all right, just stay healthy. Please make it to the playoffs. And then we'll see how great you are. And we'll yeah. see you unleash the offense. And I will say too, I, I think this game also proved how good Tampa's defense is. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that the Packers scored twice against this defense is, is pretty impressive. I think this Tampa defense is for real, especially for a team that prides itself on running the football and they couldn't really run the football at all in the second half. Um, yeah, I mean, they did a really good job of shutting out Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, which uh, is hard to do. All right, yeah. last game of the week before Monday night anyway. Um, your Broncos pull out an absolutely disgusting, horrible win on yeah. Sunday night. Yeah, we did. Um, I am f- filing a class action lawsuit against the NFL for making us watch this game on <sighs> Sunday Night Football. It was horrible. So um, bad it was good. There were 17 punts. 17 punts. Uh, Amazing punting performance. 
uh, almost score. Te- technic- technically, second, second time they've seen it, so not the, really, but but pretty cool. did you know the story behind that? There's some drama behind the scoregami there. No. So the first time there was a a touch, there was like a touchdown scored to end that game that finished 11 10 that got waved off. And then after review, uh, the league came out and said that it shouldn't have gotten waved off. And so technically, that game should have ended 17 to 11 or 16 to 11. And instead, it finished 11 to 10. So uh, this should have been a scoregami. Uh, and according to the NFL league books, uh, it would be a scoregami. But no, I mean, this look, this game was just awful. Um, the Jimmy G uh, stepping on the back line, um, the people, the, co- the people coming out and, and praising uh, Russell Wilson for that last, you know, the drive at the end of the game. I, I mean, look, I'm not trying to rain on your parade, dude. Look, like we said this in our group chat too, with you, me and Scotty, like a win's a win, an ugly win's a win, a blowout oh. win's a win. It all counts this game. There's no pictures on a, on a record sheet. Right. So, um, or no pictures in the standings, I should say, I don't know where I came up with record sheet from. Um, but like I was watching my roommate had on Colin Coward earlier today and Coward's talking about, you know, Russ going into his superpowers at the end of the game and, and waving off Nathaniel Hackett and say, I'm going to run my own offense here in the final drive. And it's like, dude, that's not what happened. Like Russ, Russ just doesn't look good. And we talked about this last week, the identity of this team. There is none. There's absolutely no identity to this football team. They're a really good running team but I still feel like there's this weird push and pull where it's like, Hey, we have Russell Wilson, so we should try to throw it, but also maybe Russell Wilson's just not that good at throwing the football anymore. Um, or at least we need to aid his I mean, throwing by running the path, you know, cause look, he's still going to have moments like he did in that fourth quarter where he's scrambling and making plays because that's what made Russ amazing when he was in Seattle. But it's been a long time since I've seen Russ look like that, honestly, in, in where he scrambled around and just said, I'm going to start making plays and, and I guess that's somewhere where Coward was coming from, but you have to run to set up the pass if you want Russ to be highly productive. And the annoying thing is the Broncos have every ability to do that. They're just not doing it. And that's this weird misconnection um, and, and, and lack of identity that we were talking about last week. Yeah, I mean, we we ran the ball over 30 times. We include Russell scrambles. And it, we didn't look good, though. We didn't look good running the ball. We didn't look good passing the ball. This is the most three and outs that at one point it was eight, three and outs that um, Russell Wilson had this game, most in his career. Our, I mean, our t- we booed our team at halftime again. Um, again, yeah. It's our second win after doing that. So maybe tradition is born. Uh, listen, this is, this is legitimately the worst win I've seen uh, one of my teams have. And I'm proud of that. Cortland Sutton had a good game on the last drive. Russell did just enough. Uh, he didn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, that was the biggest thing turnover battle in this one. And we just didn't, we played mistake free and we sucked and we punted really well. If you watch this game, the punting in this game, if you like punting, go watch the key plays, the punts down on the one on the two, they're sliding, shooting out sideways, punting from both sides was incredible. And that's the only good thing you can probably say about this game. I thought we were sucking a third down. And then I looked at what was going on in San Francisco. They were one of 10 at the end of the game on third down. It's it, you can't win a game like that. With, with losing the turnover battle and having that happen. <clears throat> I'm surprised we got this win. I'm glad we got this win. Um, we need to get our shit together. And on the 49ers side, I mean, you brought it at the whole talk, right? All week, Jimmy Garoppolo coming in. He's going to be the guy. This is going to be, you know, good for them for winning right now. 
and you couldn't put up literally 13 points. I, I don't know, man, that, that it looked bad. Um, and given he probably hasn't gotten all the first team snaps for a while. So I mean, he didn't a have a playbook. Time, they, they didn't give him a playbook until halfway through training camp. Yeah. I mean, he, he needs until to... they figured out the contract situation. Yeah. So, because he, he literally says goodbyes to the media. They were showing that he said goodbye to everybody. And like, so I think I it's going to take a couple of weeks. Like I, I will say this. I thought he would look better just given the familiarity and, and how long he's been there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't good on either team. Um, and, and I'll say this too. I mean, look, the Niners have a sick defense, so it's going to be really hard for any team to put up points against San Francisco. And I, you know, for the Broncos, like, yeah, like look, come out with a win. The running game wasn't there. I, I think the running game will be there more often than it won't be. Um, the, the, you hit the nail on the head with the punting. It was a sick punting game. Yeah. Uh, I mean that the one in the first quarter that was like literally the most perfect punt I think I've ever seen that they literally challenged. I think both or Denver challenged it. Um, I, I didn't think it was a bad challenge. People thought it was a bad challenge and because people are looking for any reason to bury, you know, Nathaniel Hackett right now, but um, no, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mind that either. I thought that like, I'm glad we came out with the win, but we've got to somehow get this team moving the ball at least ahead of the change. I mean, it's so predictable. It seems like, or I don't know what it is, but when you, when you have the most, you know, three and outs of his career and you're at home, it, it was just a bad scene, man. And prime time. The one everyone thing I'll say just this, saw it. Yeah. And, and that sucks too. Whenever your team loses on prime time, that's the worst feeling. Well, and we um, won, but it was sorry, even a worse sorry. feeling somehow. Like, it I gets. know it's right. Isn't it weird? You're like, damn, you guys look really shitty that's on, how, on yeah. Sunday night football. It was a win, like, but it felt like a loss. Yeah. Um, because I, I think more conversation, weirdly enough, is about Denver right now and what the hell is going on with them. <clears throat> but the one thing I will say with, with Denver here, to, to leave it on a positive, or at least somewhat positive note, is remember when Hackett and, uh, and Matt LaFleur got to Green Bay, right? Green Bay, or, yeah. Aaron Rodgers was bad that year. Not bad, but he, he had a really down year. I think he completed like 60% of his passes and statistically had a pretty down year. And it, it might just be as simple as like, hey, Russ, You've literally run the same offense for a decade in Seattle. The verbiage is different. The everything about your your surroundings, your life, everything is different. And now you have all this added pressure. Um, Russ just hasn't looked good. And that's not to say that he won't look better as as time goes on. Um, but Judy played in this game. Cortland Sutton played in this game. Um, I mean, yeah, we can say, oh, no, Tim Patrick. But like Tim, no offense to Tim Patrick, who's a great player. Tim Patrick isn't making or breaking where this team is, is right now. You know, would it be no. nice to have an additional player like that? Sure. But you have two really solid wide receivers, one who I think is a pro bowl caliber guy and one who is a former first round pick. Uh, that should be enough for Russell Wilson to be able to play high quality football. Uh, and, and to this point, it hasn't been. So I don't know if, if there needs to be a more commit higher commitment to the run Um because Javante Williams, I mean, they're just criminally underusing Javante Williams, who so far he's been the best player on that offense, and I don't think it's been even close. Uh, you have to get the ball into his hands some way. And, you know, I know Melvin Gordon punched the touchdown in there late to put him up, but, you know, you, you got to do something. It's got to be something that's different with this team. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, it might just be a weird first year and who knows, maybe next year they come back better. Maybe halfway through the season, they turn it on and all of a sudden it starts clicking. But to this point, I I'm a big trends guy, especially when it comes to st statistics. 
And we've seen a big enough sample size of Russ going down this trajectory that I feel like a decent amount of it is just Russ. Russ isn't Russ. What Russ did last night in the fourth quarter, scrambling and making plays was the first time I've seen him do that. And it felt like two, maybe even three years. And that was exciting because that was the version of rush. That was so Russ That was so fucking electric there during the late 20 teens when he was Seattle was one of the best teams in football when it Mm -hmm. felt like it was his team and they got away from that a little bit. But part of that was because he wanted to sit in the pocket and he wanted to do the whole let Russ cook thing. Uh, And I think maybe there just needs to be a little bit better dialogue between Hackett and Russ. And, you know, I think if, if it looks the same by, by week six, then, you know, I'd say, all right, Hey, yo, we're y'all, y'all might be in some trouble. I'm not ready to go all the way there yet. Yeah. But the trends and what we've seen from Russ at this point are, are disappointing. All right. Um, College football, real quick, pretty dis- not disappointing, but a pretty mild week uh, in college football. We had another Kansas State upset over Oklahoma, fourth time in five years. Kansas State <laughs> has beaten Oklahoma. Adrian Martinez, uh, loved to see that for a kid who just got shit on for so long at Nebraska. His old head coach gets fired, and then he comes out and has the best game of his career. Um, Clemson Wake Forest was an unbelievable game, double overtime. Uh, what else do we have? AM and Arkansas was a great game. I mean, Arkansas was up 14 nothing quick. Then, yeah. you know, AM goes down and scores, and then boom, all of a sudden there's that that turnover. They take it back for the touchdown. You're like, holy shit, uh, is, is AM going to start would be, be ahead in this game? And uh, they were down one at halftime. AM came out, looked good in the second half. Tennessee, Florida was a really entertaining game. Uh, Oregon with a huge comeback. Obviously, we touched on JMU, which was the biggest win. We know that. Uh, Texas Tech knocking off, knocking off Texas. Middle Tennessee upsets Miami. What stood out to you? Uh, your boys with another win there against Central Michigan didn't cover though, which cost Scotty uh, a Dude. lot of money. A I lot mean, of that. Money. Yeah, we're a good team. We're not a great team. That's what happens, right? When you don't cover, and and so I, I have less faith in us now than I did before. <clears throat> you got to be able to cover. Great teams cover, and that's so funny. See, the I mean, thing is, is true. I know you don't actually feel that way. <laughs> but knowing the gambling side of you, if it was any team other than Penn state, you would a hundred percent mean it. 100%. Um, no, I mean, th- there's a lot of teams this weekend. Michigan had a close one. It wasn't even that as bad, but to me, the Oregon comeback, we were watching the Cougs go Cougs shout out. Um, but the ducks, man, the ducks came back and winning in that game. I couldn't believe it. We were at a bachelor party this weekend. Um, and as we're watching these games, we kind of get away, right? We're, we're off, we're hanging out. Um, we come back and we look and someone's just like, cause they were down by two touchdowns late or something like that. And then all of a sudden our, but the, the groom's older brother went to Washington state and he just looks at his phone. And he goes, Holy shit, the ducks won. And we were like, what? So of course we pull up the highlights. We're watching. We're like giving him shit. Cause he was talking shit to everyone else. Cause he's like, I told you to bet on him. I told you we got the money. And then of course they end up losing. And he bet a money line, of course. It was great. Um, 29 in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that, that fourth quarter comeback was was crazy. I will say I did have Maryland plus 10 and a half at one point. So that late touchdown there, Ooh, uh, that was a huge backdoor cover. And I was motherfucking Maryland, too, for blowing blowing the fourth quarter. And, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a great backdoor cover from the Terps. Needed that from the Dirty Terps. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, USC snuck by a 14 points in the fourth quarter to, to beat Oregon state who uh, really interesting team. It's so far. I mean, look, 
the top. I mean, Kent State put a little put a little fear into into Georgia early. It was a, I think it was like a, a seventeen or a nineteen to thirteen game at one point um, between Georgia and Kent State, and then of course Georgia ends up blowing them out. Bama mm-hmm. wins by fifty two over Vanderbilt. Um, Wisconsin steamrolled was uh, sorry Ohio State steamrolled Wisconsin. So the big boys are all doing the same things in college football that we're accustomed them to. Um, but what's cool is it does seem like the underneath part. I mean, you know, you have Kentucky, you have USC, uh, Kansas State, you have Tennessee in the top 10, NC State's in the top 10, Utah. Like there's a lot of new teams that are just really fun. And oh, I love Ole Miss sneaking it. I mean, Ole Miss, when they've put it on them, Jackson Dart has been electric so far statistically for Ole Miss. Uh, and I think they had like 18 of their 22 starters either leave or transfer. So they're basically working with an entire new team. And Lane Kiffin has them rolling. Uh, Washington's a really good football team. I can't believe they were ranked only at 18th and they got a little bit of a jump. Uh, but yeah, Miami, Texas, they both fall out of the top 25. I saw a stat that um, that uh, Steve Sarkeesian is, has blown eight second-half leads already at texas and this is only his second season um it's it's a texas curse man it's a texas curse i don't know how they fix it but uh texas tech with a huge road win over the longhorns um but again nothing as dramatic as the jmu dukes coming back from 28 to 3 uh undefeated in fbs play only team only team in college football history that can say that they are undefeated in FBS play. So don't know how much longer that will last, but we'll take it while we get it. Uh, anything else that you want to add here before we go? Um, nothing really. I, I think the only thing is, you know, we're, we're, we're in, we're in the thick of it. Now we're talking again, rankings, power, all this stuff. We're in the thick of it. This is the time. And on fantasy, you start making some trades, eyeing up some different people, but uh, without a doubt, this is, um, this is going to be a great next couple months. Like you said, we had different teams, man. We have different teams ranked. We have good NFL teams switching up teams that were good, that are bad, bad, that are good now. Um, just enjoy the ride, ride the wave. College football is already a third of the way through Stop. Third of the regular season. Stop. Don't say it. It happens say that it. fast every year. NFL uh, approaching the uh, game week number four. Hey, wait, we got another NFL game. We got 18 weeks and we're only, we're only done okay. three. So we're only a sixth of the way through the NFL regular season. Uh, so we got plenty more to come. Uh, we'll update everybody on the picks from last week on Friday show. Scotty and I both with pretty decent weeks. We'll see how everything finishes out here with Monday night football for Vito. I'm Jeff shout out Scotty and the boys. We will talk to you guys on Friday. Have a wonderful week. And, uh, We'll talk to you guys then. Take it easy, everybody.